0: Dogs of Warcry is a Mortal Realms podcast focused on Warcry, a fast-paced cinematic skirmish game by Games Workshop. We talk about the lore, rules, games play, painting, terrain, campaigns, events, and everything in between. In episode 6, we take a little break to prepare for our upcoming narrative event on November 16th. So this episode is a rebroadcast of the Mortal Realms Story Phase episode 46, which covers the Warcry anthology, six short stories focusing on the Bloodwind Spoils and the Chaos Warbands. We'll be back with a fresh episode on the 27th about running leagues. It's the one we've been the most excited to share. Welcome to the Warband. Your allies to the spoils this episode are. I'm Davey, and
1: listener, just for a second, it's just you and me. Okay, so you know what's about to happen. We're about to get some puns. So let's decide, you and me. War cry or war crime?
2: Let's listen together. (laughs) Uh, I'm Paul, and I was going to do a pun, but I'm not going to go there today. Jeez, Uh,
3: I'm Aaron, and uh, remember, listener, no warmen,
0: no cry. And this is Eric, devourer. I hardly knew her. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this shit. Okay. Hey, you hear that? That call from a great distance? Do you feel it? That beacon, that lure, that drive to parts unknown, summoning you to supremacy, to victory, to glory, to violence? In this episode, we're discussing the War Cry Anthology, with stories by a variety of black library authors, contained within... Are tales of war bands, of warriors, of people who heard their own call and the aftermath of what they decided to do about it. How you doing tonight, gentlemen? <laughs> I don't know if I'm as I'm confused a as you tense are right <laughs> now.
1: Pretty, pretty good for for future note. Uh, Eric's going to read
0: italics as a question. <laughs> That's a question. So, yeah.
3: uh, anything you put on that teleprompter, he will Whoa. read. Yeah. <laughs>
0: When you, give, when you don't read it all before you're forced to read it on the mic, you get liberties. I'm Eric Oakland. No, I, that's half I'm fun. Eric Oakland. <laughs> awesome. Uh, uh, it's like whenever I do uh, text-to-speech and there's a, a robot, like a machine voice. Uh, never mind, this isn't funny. Yeah.
3: <laughs> this is nothing. Hey, guys, should we start talking about this book?
0: Mm-hmm. The main
3: reason why people are listening to this podcast?
0: The main reason I'm here tonight.
3: Yeah.
0: So let's
2: move on to the story phase. In the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the Nine Realms, plus the
4: Elgates.
2: (laughs) When the ever-chosen calls, the tribes of Chaos answer his war cry. Each does Archaon's will in their own way, and each has a part to play in the war to control the mortal realms. These
0: are their stories.
2: Hey, guess what? What? Uh, I shortened it so they're not so long, so we don't
3: have to like read a novel uh, before we talk about the novel.
0: I'll just say, is it, that was all italics, and there was no question mark.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm a professional character. <laughs> professional what? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, so guys, much. this is the story phase, and we start the story phase with the spoiler-free section. No spoilers. So l- right off the bat, let's talk about what this book even is, all right? So it's-, it's there,
0: a- there are blood spoils. Oh,
3: sure. Blood spoils. Uh, i just got to that part in the episode and i was like
0: for context in the first episode of dogs of war cry i called it the blood spoils and davy called me out as any good editor uh would do and i think because it was on the brain i was trying to not not physical editor of like cutting it uh so, I was trying hard to get it right, and when you try too hard to get it right, you yeah, just get it, wrong, get it wrong.
3: wrong. Plus, you infected Josh, and you made him get it wrong, too. So, like, that's the worst crime. Is you made right. him or, I love that he said
2: it right, and then he
3: corrected himself <laughs> yeah. to say it
2: wrong.
0: Or, if everybody gets it wrong, are we right? Oh, well, that's true. It's like no. the... Um, oh, toe the line. What's the... <laughs> <laughs>
3: Excellent. All right. So this, this book is an anthology. So it's a series of short stories. So mm-hmm. there's not, not a particular through line running through all of them, but rather it's independent stories basically focused on each of the six chaos warbands that have been released in Warcry thus far. Mm-hmm. Um, there it's generally set in the same spot, which is to say the blood wounds. Well, we'll talk about the where's first. Um, I guess we'll go in the same order that we normally do in our spoiler free section. So let's start with the when, which is basically who knows, right? Um, there's no real timeline to speak of per se. We know
0: that one it- of the stories takes place over years. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, where some of them are happening within a night. Yeah. Um, but uh, in terms of how it relates to, um, in general, War Cry is somewhat set after the Necroquake, um, because at least one of the the Stormcast Warbands is coming in to secure a um, Storm Vault. One of the Storm Vaults. That, But I don't know that you would have to say that that's the only time you have to play or read these. Like, they could have happened during the Age of Chaos. I mean, mm-hmm. this is all... Yeah. It feels like the eight points is like a land at time forgot. Well, mm-hmm. yeah,
1: right. Uh, it, like you said, because it's the eight points instead of the all points, you know, it, it exists anywhere on a spectrum from when it became the eight points to you know, the present.
3: Dumb question. When did it become the eight points? Like. Is that uh, Realm Gate Wars or prior to the Realm Gate Wars?
0: After prior. the Realm is it? Prior. Yeah, uh, the realm sorry. Gate Wars are the it return was, of the uh, oh. Stormcast Eternals to the, the yeah. Realms. Right. So mm-hmm. Age of Chaos, yeah, yeah, when it was Archeon, one of Archeon's first uh military targets. Now if we're if we're taking the
1: base game uh as as here's where we're landing, right? I think yep. if I'm remembering correctly, the base game is set uh post necroquake. Because that's part of how some of the Night Haunt got in and, yeah. and that sort of thing. So oh, sure.
3: Yeah, that makes sense. You can
1: make that assumption, but there's nothing that directly ties us to the current. But it's a safe safe yeah, guess it that it's occurring in the present of the game. Yeah. Okay, cool. But you have room to expand if you want.
2: Yeah, I think that maybe if we called it something like The Eternal Now, right, there might be stories added that incorporate future details. You could read it and then not know about the future details. It doesn't really matter. There isn't a context that is needed for these stories. I'd rather
0: call it Apocalypse now. I'll
3: call it a Stormcast Eternal now. Mm -hmm. How now, Brown Cow?
0: I'll call it
1: Let's Move Along.
3: Alright, so we we can get to the where, and this is what I was getting at before. So we are in the eight points. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like we've maybe referenced it a a few different times in in the past. Some of our stories have been set there before. Um, In fact, we talked about it quite a bit in in the Dogs of Warcry episode, but this eight points was the all points. It's the nexus uh, that exists between all the realms where uh, there's like major realm gates to each of those realms, and it's sort of the, the interconnected web uh,
2: for each of them. So, this is a sub realm that is the only place in the mortal realms that's connected to all eight realms. That's that we it. know of. Yep. That, well, that's it, says in the Warcry book. Okay. But yeah, so um, it, it includes that the Warcry book. And if it, it
0: had been me yeah. setting up the all points, I would have knocked one of those gates out. Yeah. So it wouldn't be an eight-point star because I feel like that was just a little bit of an oversight. Sure,
2: right? Little but you knew, you knew he was coming. You um, knew it was coming. And Warcry itself—the uh, setting for the box—is set within the triangle of two highways that go to two individual realm gates, and the Bloodwind Spoils itself is the space between those two highways. So this is kind of an interesting thing where everybody in Warcry is presented as the things that are too small to actually be involved in the big battles right if they actually went on the highways they'd be destroyed they have no chance of standing up to archaean's armies
0: so you're saying that, uh, there's a constant kind of march to yes. and from uh, the Baron spire and the rome gates kind of exactly
2: thing? so uh, that's the what i read from the warband or from the from yeah. the main book and the other thing is that we do get a summary of what these warbands are it's only about a couple two or three paragraphs but you can actually look in the warcry book itself and with that silhouette You can read about the different warbands and get an idea of what the story is going to be. You won't have a plot necessarily, but if you want a spoiler-free description of what you're looking for, it's right there in the Warcry book.
0: So, uh, I think there's a couple cool ways to think of these highways. Obviously, you got like old Roman highways, you know, where they built up, uh, you know, cobblestone or just imagine the big pavings of that. Uh, They also, though, I mean, I think it was in the Realmgate Wars. Some of the battles, and I would be interested to remember which round gates Sigmar was able to uh, take back, because there could be a number of these eight points that are under um, order control. Um, on so the, on the other side of the gate, yep, yep. Yeah. So on the other side, I think uh, I don't remember. I don't think actually was. I think they got character. life. I think they got actually at heavy cost. They okay. didn't get metal. Um, Beast, Peace
1: okay. was a wild card still. Yeah. So,
0: so I remember in the book talking about like the the road leading up to, I believe it was the Action gate or it could have been the Gate, Like there is some pretty heavy, like, um, what would you, what is it? Infrastructure capabilities built by door, Dwar- Dwarden and whatever. So, I mean, these could be like high highways on huge pillars with arches. They could be just cobblestone. They could be this, that, and the other, they could be spanning valleys and, and that sort of stuff. So I feel like you can imagine these highways any way you want, but, but I like the idea that, yeah, you're kind of that space in between. You're in the cul-de-sacs, you're in the, the mix mash, and you're kind of where those different forces coming from the different road gates. And in case of the starter box, you've got the um, Shaman um, Iron Golems coming in, and you've got the Untamed Beast from Gur, and that's where they're meeting is in the Bloodwind Spoils. Nice. Good job. Hey, thanks. Yep. thanks,
2: thanks. Well, and the Bloodwind Spoils have a couple defining features about it that we can talk about without doing spoilers. Number one, when it rains, it rains blood. When it rains, it pours blood. Hence the name Bloodwind spoils, right? Yep. Um, the other thing is that there is a larger city within this area. There's a nice little map in the Warcry book, um, and it's called Karngrad. Yeah, I, I was, was wondering,
1: did you appreciate this? It was a little bit of a callback. It's got that Slavic root of grad, which mm-hmm. relates back to Kislev, yep. which uh, probably archaean as uh still some memory from the world that was. It felt like I don't think there was actually a Carnograd in the old old world, but uh but it, it felt like a little bit of a, a subtle tie in, which
2: was mm-hmm. pretty fun. I thought it was a lot of fun.
0: And I thought I remembered and I don't I don't remember it enough to know, but I thought this was a city in uh while during the the all points that was a high commerce or kind of marketplaces and place of wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't remember was it still called Carnograd? Was it I, I don't remember that at all, but I'm not saying it. doesn't matter anymore. anymore. That yeah. place is
2: erased. But that is also part of the setting, right? Like, this was yep. something, and then it was order, and then it was chaos, and now it is Karnagrad.
0: Um, right? There's a ton of history behind everything. Here. And something that may be important here, but isn't important as important later when we get to it, um, in the Proving Ground story, mm-hmm. it uh, kind of takes you into karn uh so you start off kind of on the outskirts there's like the gates of an old f- of the fortress that was and the walls are no more it takes you a little bit further and you've got they actually call it, in some cases suburbs or like the outskirts and uh the outcasts and the mutated and you know those that are that that aren't welcome where the heavier fighting or stronger live and then you get further into the um you get further into the city where it's more more dense, et cetera, and you're fighting for more valued ground. So mm-hmm. it's an interesting – I mean, I'm thinking of like – it, it's a barbarian city. It's a chaotic, you know, gangs of New York yep. <laughs> kind of feel. It is uh,
2: civilization, and it is the first full-on chaos city that we've really seen. I mean, we have the Verin inspire. I don't think it's necessarily defined as a chaos city, more as Archaon's capital. Mm. Um, this is the first actual chaotic civilization that we have fleshed out. So that's a cool new uh, experience that we haven't seen yet before. And one of the other defining features about this area of the Bloodwind spoil is that there are these glass shards or mirrored shards that do go around and can take someone's soul out from them. Mm. It's written into the Warcry... Rule book itself but it's also in some of these stories too uh so it is a very dangerous treacherous uh place that the setting is and the people that we're talking to one of the functional important things is that none of these people are heroes right they're all kind of like normal people but
3: mm, you define normal
2: for me well like, who are you I'm,
3: hanging out with paul
2: what i'm saying Us. is that if this were an age of sigmar Ouch. book right They would be somebody who would be given a name, described, and killed. They are more of the individuals who populate the NBC background, but for this Warcry anthology, they are the main characters. Yeah,
1: I mean, in all these, all these uh, warbands have units in the AOS Mm -hmm. world, and they're all like real, like seventy points for eight or nine dudes or whatever. I I don't haven't picked them apart, but like that includes you know, your leader, leader, leader pieces. And yeah. they're like, Oh man. All right. So, mm-hmm. uh, it is fun to kind of see it on this smaller scale. Yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, if you want a story about farmers, like this is about as close as we're probably going to get to farmers in AOS. Cause uh, this is just the normal people.
0: So specifically you mean like the, the leader of a war band would mm-hmm. be like the unit champ yeah. for a battle line. Wouldn't era. even be a hero. Yeah. Um, and I'll say, I mean, the Bloodwind Spoils has blood rain, but in these stories, there's a lot of things that 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 the eight, eight points rains down. Yeah, uh, uh,
3: raining cats and dogs. Uh, we didn't see it literally, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, um, and then uh, a wide range Bone of Bone shards, yeah. thorns, knives. At one point, I'm yeah, pretty sure. it's yeah. yeah.
0: So it's it's like <laughs> it will throw everything at you. Kitchen sinks yeah, as well.
3: Literally gotcha. kitchen sink. Man, ouch, that would
0: hurt. Yep, yep.
3: Mine's like cast iron. Unless
0: you're an iron golem, then you just wear it as armor.
2: <laughs> you say sweet. Are you going to make that conversion now? Because I feel like you have to have that conversion. That'd be
0: my, or, my ogre's name is just going to be kitchen sink. Your
2: fire is just holding a kitchen sink. Sweet
3: sink, dude. Um, all right, let's talk some about, some about the who's. We won't go too deep into it, but for each of these stories, and I think I said it before, they basically are following a representative or a character from each of those war bands right so if you've got one of your favorite six chaos war bands there's a story in here uh for you um so let's let's go down the line so the first story is um, about the unmade and so we follow this this uh blissful one named grov am i saying that right
0: grov skein
3: okay Skine, i don't Skine? know <laughs> yeah that um, but uh, this is a blissful, blissful one of the uh, unmade. Um, since there's a bunch of them, we won't go dig too deep in each one. But uh, in the uh, Cypher Lord story, there's Vignis Daneg. Why am I doing this? Uh, Vignis Dagnegia. <laughs> He's a thrall master of the Cyp- Cypher Lord. So that's the dude with like the bomb in his hand, like that
0: little model. He's cool.
3: Um, there's uh, Thornwinder, who's a brave of the untamed beasts. I don't know these units that well. Is, is a brave a thing? Is that a unit?
0: So he is, uh, would be a planes runner. Okay. Um, although in the story they talked about him earning the rank of corsier, which I wonder if it was like a um, before, you know, like one of those things in the writing of this that there was a bunch of different names. They were yeah, floating we can, around. We a like a courser is often used in like um, parkour or free running uh, name used for somebody who, you know, just traverses their landscape. Tell me what you know about uh, free running or parkour. I think everybody's had that had that rabbit hole on on youtube before so no. don't shame me for my par- <laughs> no parkour just, my parkour rabbit you sounded hole sounded like an expert in and i to hear more
3: about it um, there's uh, <laughs>
2: there's a there's, how many times did you go to the hospital
3: i suppose already? it
0: would have had to be more like 2011 <laughs> uh, okay fine.
3: there's
2: there's lock who's a, a
3: spire stalker <laughs> of the corvus cabal um he's a cool bird dude um there's merrick who's Let's say a chaos, without getting too specific, he's a chaos tribesman who ends up getting caught up um, in with the group of splintered Fang.
0: Like um, he, he, he was supposed to go over here, but through some means he went this way.
3: Yeah. I mean, life is always full of surprises, right? Especially in the Bloodwind spoil. And then uh, there's Vostalis, who's a dominar of the Iron Golems. So most of these folks are, are not all, but most of them are, like, the leader models of, or at least uh, higher up um, in their respective warbands, but not always. So we do get uh, sort of varying perspectives, um, not only from the warbands, but even from the different, like, hierarchies in the warbands themselves. Um, Some cool stuff. Do you guys have any uh, things you want to talk about when it comes to the
2: the people, the peeps? Well, there is one overarching theme in all of these plots, which is that. Killing people. They are all trying to get Archaeon's attention. Yeah, they all have their own way of doing it, right? Um, but the other thing, if you haven't actually looked at the Warcry book or seen the background, none of these are your typical Chaos tribesmen. They don't worship Nurgle. They don't worship Khorne. They don't worship Slaanesh. They worship something else. Well, I, I would
1: uh, I would contest your characterization of typical Chaos. I w- typical in the sense of like what we're used to thinking of, but I think this is establishing like how many different ways there can be chaos this is the new typical or, Right, exactly
0: for different
3: way maybe there is no typical at all there's no there such thing is. as a typical yep. Like- yep.
0: it's a it's a and as they've kind of shown with um, with some uh, in the early days of kind of learning about chaos or about like you know the um, Gore Chosen or something like that where you get a more gray version or a more empathizable characters in the aos lore um I think this is definitely just in a different way showing you the shades of gray or what that part of that path to chaos. It's not just like a a switch that's turned, Mm. but it is a, um, in most cases, a sometimes slow, sometimes fast, but a, a twist and turn and a series of choices that lead you to either your demise or, you know, the, the, um, the attention of your superior or, becoming something special in it. That actually leads to a very specific intentional
2: point here. All of these people are implied to have been part of a civilization that existed when Sigmar was in the realms and part of this Golden Age. And all of these civilizations were left behind when Sigmar retreated. And each one of these civilizations has fallen to chaos in their own specific way. So these are not intended to be I'm evil because I love evil and evil is terrible. It's more intended to be I'm evil because good left and this is all that was left behind. So this is what I had to do to survive. I'm going to cut that evil speech you just
3: gave right there and take it out of context and make it look (laughs) real bad.
2: That's
0: okay. (laughs) Um, What was cool is as you mentioned too, is that I think many of the stories, like you said, initiated a hierarchy. So whoever the main character was, it gave you some interesting dynamics to play with between them and either their superior or their um, the people who answered to them. And i I would say there were some similarities of just that kind of survival. There's not a lot of camaraderie. It's a lot of you know dog eat dog um, from the rain. Yep, but there are some different variations of that. Some very extreme. Mm-hmm. Uh, backstabbing to some like s- glimpses of there still being humanity left in in some of these characters or these tribes. Yeah, yeah. so it was. Well,
3: I wonder if it, it was almost intentional or like as part of the brief or something like that, where it was almost necessary that you needed to get some of that interaction between yeah. the different levels. Yeah, um, because it, I think without fail, every single story had some element of that. You know, up or down sort of uh, relationship.
0: Because yeah, I mean we're uh, we're tr- they're doing they do a great job. I think of establishing kind of just. In this eight points, in this wheel of chaos, where do people stand? Where do they start? Where are they trying to go? And what are the steps in between? Yeah, it's
3: it's
2: always a series of hierarchies with RKM being at the very, very top. Well, and as you might be able to tell, because we are dealing with six different separate stories here, we're kind of dancing around, trying not to fill in the details. literally. But I think we did a really good job of giving a summary of what you can expect from reading these stories, personally. Thank you uh so nice I, hope, of
0: you. I hope everyone else thinks that we did a good
2: job. i hope so so i personally am impatient to get out of the spoilers okay, and well, no. actually talk about the stories but
3: first we gotta say just generally like our,
2: our mini review Is this is something we recommend uh for mm-hmm. folks uh paul since you were talking keep going um i do recommend it there is some elements of horror in some of these stories so be aware even though it's not a warhammer horror theme that there are definitely some horror vibes in several of the stories it's pretty gnarly mm-hmm. eric you're our Warcry guy
0: i me yeah I, oh
2: war cry guy
3: thanks like
0: guys that. thanks i would like to thank my mom my dad <laughs> um, <laughs> um yeah i think i would recommend it uh i i you know it's been said before sometimes the some of the best um experiences in reading the writing is in these short bursts of information that just give you enough to to kind of give you a feeling if you know what's going on or where your place is. Um, but there's still some really cool moments that surprised me. And I'm always looking for just yeah to be surprised by, by the writing and the stories.
3: Since I'm asking, I'm going to go to Davey now.
0: Sure. I, I'm on record of several times of
1: saying that I think that black library fiction often shines when it's in the short story form. So we get it. Yeah, yeah. If you agree. I, no, I was literally, I was
0: quoting Davey without giving him credit. Yeah. I
1: apologize. Uh, so I think this is a great way to uh, take a look. I think it's good if you, obviously, are trying to thinking about getting into the game Warcry or want to deepen your uh, understanding what the warbands are that you're seeing on the table. Uh, but also, if, uh, if you're just kind of a casual observer, uh, it's cool for uh, increasing your knowledge of, of the overall Age of Sigmar universe because it gives it gives like kind of a ground level look at uh, some things that we haven't seen. So yeah, uh, I enjoyed it for all those reasons.
3: Um, I liked it because uh, it was. Uh, like to build off what you were just saying Uh, informative also about a space that we don't get to spend too much time on like it's, it's an area this all eight points it's kind of shrouded in mystery a little bit like we know some details and some some of the layout but generally this is one of the first times we ever really get a sense of what it's like to live there i guess we just literally read scourge of fate not too long ago but um this sort of builds on on that um so i do enjoy it for that uh, aspect of it furthermore uh, the beauty of being an anthology is you got six stories if you don't like one of them or two of them or three of them chances are there's probably another one in there that you are gonna like um i do find that there was a honestly kind of a fair bit of like variety even in the writing styles or the perspectives yeah, of the stories and so yeah. like um it always kept me on my toes because there's always something new to learn about especially despite the fact that we are still ostensibly in the same location there is a wide range and wide variety of, of people's places and and things. So I I do recommend it from that perspective. And again, you can sort of pick and choose the parts you like, don't like, um, because it was a a cool anthology.
2: Um, And then one last point, uh, David reminded me of is that this is straight up an introduction to all six of these factions. There is no information that you need before starting to read them. You will get everything that you need to know about them while you're reading the story. So if you are a little bit like, I don't know if I want to start reading some age of Sargmar fiction because there's so much, already been written, right? There's so much involved with each of these storylines. This is a great book for you to read because that's not true. It literally is starting from the beginning.
3: Cool, cool, cool. Alright. Paul wants to talk about spoilers and far be it for me to deprive him of that discussion. bloodwind spoilers. What's get out of Why didn't- town?
0: Oh that could've been my intro.
3: Yeah. Jeez. But I
0: went with my dumb devourer. <laughs> we didn't
3: call it dumb. You said it. Uh, (laughs) our silence said it (laughs) Uh, alright so the spoiler phase it wasn't in italics alright cool so now we can go (laughs) hog wild Um, cool so I think what we'll do is maybe go story by story just to keep it simple we won't get too creative or fancy with it Um, we'll we'll stick to what we know and love Um, so that means that we are going to start with the harrower by David Annandale and so this is the unmade story uh, and I'll dive right into it. All right. So the, the plot is as follows. Um, so there's that grov, grov skein that I was talking about before the blissful one of the unmade,
0: you know what? Pick a pronunciation and own it. Yeah, that's true. You got this. Thank
3: you. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Steve uh, has the goal, uh, of <laughs> finding <laughs> this, this tower, right? So the this, this part of this unmade tribe, I'm sure it has a name, but I've forgotten it, um, and they have recently rolled up into the Bloodwind Spoils from, um, from Shyish. Uh, they're on the hunt for this mythical, uh, this tower that their whole warband has basically dedicated their lives to finding. So there's been past leaders of this, this unmade group um, over the years. And they, they, they're said to have found it originally, but they've lost it. And so um, they've sort of repeatedly sent scouts and parties out to go find it. Um, because apparently it's this source of untold power made specifically for this unmade warband, um, and so their goal is uh, from our from this perspective that we're following from uh, Steve uh, to go find find this tower and sort of claim their um, their their rightful place um, and the power that goes along with it. So we pick up. I think they're already in the Bloodwind Spoils, and they're they're traversing um, across the desolate marches. Is that not part of the Bloodwind
1: Spoils? It's confusing. This is one that. Uh... Tells its story by being in the present and then giving you flashbacks to different stages to see how they got there. Yeah,
3: they're in this this desolate marches uh, and they're making their you know making their way to where they think this tower is. And so it's at this point we kind of get that interpersonal um, relationships amongst uh, Grofskeen and or her war band. Um, they she's got uh, you know an ascended one. I don't know what the other units are called, but like these different sort of interactions with these other uh, folks. Um, there's, uh, her, like, right-hand guy, I think it's the Skarask dude, is that him? Um, who's, who's kind of, like, constantly, like, uh, being a Debbie Downer about the whole thing. This guy
0: fascinates me because of that. The ethos of the Unmade is that they put themselves through pain and suffering, uh, that that's how they reach, and they've already gone through, like, some pretty serious body mods to, like, receive that pain. And dude's whining about like walking too far or you know, like, hey, he's basically <laughs> I fer- like, Oh, I f- this doesn't hurt I forgot enough. my yeah. I forgot my snacks or you know, like like it does seem like some of the things he's worried about, like at this point. Like, Le- least of his concerns least of his concerns. But it's interesting that uh maybe the other side of that is that like when you your life is pain, uh there's certain things that probably just frustrate you even more. You're like I'm already walking a hundred miles in these, uh, in these spikes, like that are literally pointed up into your body. Uh, I don't need to, to do more of this than I need to, but it, it's just that very level of faith. And this guy was definitely not like the antithesis of, uh, in that she was all in and it seemed like he was still kind of. A lot of doubt, even though he'd gone as far as he's gone. Sure. Well,
3: and I wonder if part of that was, and, and this is maybe we'll jump into the flashback, is that they were kind of on equal footing for a, a while. there at whatever their their threshold she, was. I uh, mean, she
1: even was uh, trailing him because yeah, he mm-hmm. was he had uh, um, moved up to uh, what, an ascended one. Is that what it is?
3: I think. Yeah, I think that's yeah. what the, the term is. Um, but she sort of leapfrogs him um, because, and we we found out in a little bit of a flashback as they're they're hanging out. Um, not while she's sleeping, because it turns out they can't sleep because their eyelids have been straight cut off. Um, and, and I guess you can't sleep when you don't have eyelids. Is
2: that true? They really cut off the eyelids. They you cut do. Off their face. Yeah, healthcare stuff. Uh,
1: I think there's stories of like soldiers on the Eastern Front that got frostbite so bad that they like lost their eyelids and lips and stuff like that. So yeah. I assume or could they, were, they sleep? I mean, you could cover your eyes, right? Oh, not sure.
2: Yeah, so. I, uh, I actually know someone who can't close her right eyelid. And she can sleep, but if something is on, then she her unconscious can watch it and like make it part of her dream. So it's not that she can't sleep; it's just that she is constantly receiving information. So her brain doesn't stop functioning, like a normal person's brain would stop functioning, right? Has she replaced any of her hands with sickles? I was no. gonna no. make
1: that exact joke. Yeah, but I did it first. Damn it!
2: So, that's but is it a joke? Did she really? Yeah. So, if <laughs> we're gonna but g- for real, though. <laughs> Uh no, unfortunately. If we're going to go into this as if you don't know what's going on, we kind of maybe got to go into a little bit of what the unmade are. I don't have to do anything. So but you the,
0: said the unmade you didn't need to know that going into the story.
2: Well, but as we're talking about the story, if we're going to explain the plot, well, so, this is kind of necessary. So just
0: talk about what happened. So he was already ascended. So, yeah. What this, does that mean?
2: So, ascended just means that you have received some honor, some um furtherance in the path of pain and this actually to me was the coolest like resonance of the background with the models so they are from the realm of death right so they live on this little island of Tzlid so if you are going to be fighting against death what's the thing that's the most opposite from them the thing that's most opposite from the dead is pain because the dead cannot feel pain right and so the unmade embrace pain physical pure pain in every form as a way of finding ascendance and finding you know bliss Maybe bliss what exactly about joy? do they find joy in they it? do find joy oh, they okay, find cool. ascension you know so the warband for the unmade is made up of these people who have lost an arm lost a leg whatever well and and, and to that point
0: is that they go through the process of removing these things. So mm-hmm. they remove, uh, one of the first things they do is they remove their face yep. so that they are not known by their, this physical or, you know, uh, who they were. Their identity is partially gone, but then through some of their ascending, they get, uh, there, you know, you mentioned that they were leg and leg, uh, but he may have gotten his legs removed first. Okay. Uh, and, you know, part of that process is, is you might get uh, prosthetics uh, or blades in place of your hands or those sorts of things and often that blade is pointing out is sharp but there's also a piece of metal pointing in that's poking into tendons and etc so it's
2: mm-hmm.
0: you, every bit of it uh, they're ascending is about receiving more pain so no, Davey, no.
2: one of the things that you like talking about is a subversion ex- expectation and that was happening in spades here where we're talking in the future and we have this flashback and graus ends up having her leg cut off right and so normally this would be like oh well guess this character is done no that was the beginning of her ascension to becoming a blissful one right embracing that pain and that is actually what led her to becoming the leader of this war band that is all about her and the thing about her character is that she has these visions telling her what to do and the visions are directing her to go to this tower of revels and the war band has been assigned to her by the other blissful ones. So she is the latest induction into the blissful ones by these five or six, um, other blissful ones that ritually cut off her legs and her arms and replace them with spikes and etc So, um, it it very much is a completely different way of looking at chaos and a different way of experiencing how to survive in the mortal realms for sure.
0: So they have this cool battle. I, I, and this is came in, that flashback where they're fighting against uh, a vampire Lord and um, a bunch of undead stuff. And they very much characterize them kind of going in full bore ninja run slicing, dicing, fighting, et cetera. and, it's in uh, Killing This Vampire. So this is where she kind of leapfrogs um, her, this other guy. What's which is name? tough because she just had her leg chewed
1: off by a dire wolf. <laughs> yep, so Strasse. Leapfrog Strasse. Frog gets difficult. And, and
0: there's this, <laughs> <laughs> it's hopscotch with one leg. Um, and so she uh, ends up killing this vampire, which gives her that kind of, uh, is deemed worthy by her peers to become that blissful one. The skull of that vampire then is mounted above her head as is part of the model um, and as the kind of trophy of her. Yeah, if you're wondering, the Blissful One is the tallest of the unmade
1: models. Mm -hmm. All four limbs are replaced and as his wackadoo.
2: (laughs) And then a, a circlet of iron implanted into her skull and then four poles that raise up and mount the skull within those four poles. Right, so there's a cut in the cloth of the miniature itself, and that's where her eyes are. Yeah, gross. It, yeah.
3: So, what does this newfound power get her? Or, like, what?
0: well, this like, is kind of what I, I think I, I still as as big as we know the mortal realms are, I still try and think of like the the experience of any one of these like characters is like a thousand square miles or a hundred square miles. Like you think back in the day, you didn't travel, you know, thousands of miles. You would your experience was smaller than what the mortal realms are. And so this tower is a part of their mythos. uh, And it's this thing that's kind of just keeps appearing in her dreams, how she's going to get it, where she's going to go, where she's going to lead people. And so, you know, this might be just this one tower in their experience. Nobody else in the eight points has ever heard of it. It's not the most important thing in the world. Right. It's just this thing that's important to their tribe.
1: Right. Right. The stakes are high for, this tribe but it's not bad it, it was cool because they made stakes that the, these characters care about and we kind of care about by by proxy but it doesn't have to be the fate of the entire realm of Shimon. it's not or, a realm beast yeah exactly you know, that, or, uh, but it was still engaging yep right uh what i enjoyed was that uh her visions that she was already having early on it seemed like she would get these possibly prophetic dreams uh now they've been enhanced by her new state she she gets them or she believes more fully in them and she's being trusted to lead her war ban based on these uh but i like the ambiguity of like are these actual visions or are they just like i can't sleep uh and so like i'm getting hallucinations and stuff from from being so like you know tripped out on pain and exhaustion and all that sort of thing so, so uh, sure
3: cutting your arms and legs off doesn't put you in the best like <laughs> mental state right exactly
0: so. Yeah, I mean, and I think they in all of these stories play with that idea: is, is this my uh, delusions of grandeur, or is this uh, the intervention of uh, lowercase you know G God, mm-hmm. um, or a big God, you know, whatever? Yeah. I
2: love it. So in this story, they go through a realm
0: gate and they're following
2: these visions, and they come to this wasteland, and Careask, um, Scarask excuse me, is very doubting as to. Is this what we're supposed to be doing? Is this what's going on? And they keep walking and they keep walking and they're losing people and losing this person and losing that person. Um, and then they're eating that person. And then they're eating that person. Oh, yeah. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, well, you
1: got, I mean, you got yeah. Right? Yeah. to you gotta eat, right? Mom always said you got to eat. Yeah, I mean, they're they're in like not only a featureless desert, but a featureless desert that is like shrouded in mists. Mm-hmm. Like, so navigation, difficulty, nightmare level, you yeah. know. I
0: think they're going in circles. you
2: know, yeah. not sure if they're making it. And eventually they find this river, this, like, molten river. Uh, It's not water, it's something else. It's
3: got a weird shimmer to it, if I remember correctly.
2: And so Gravskayne is like, oh, you know, it's not water, we can't drink from it. Before eventually she decides that this is exactly what she needs to do. And so she drinks from this river. um, Which, of course, scare is like, eh, you know, we really shouldn't be doing this. Keeps moving on and eventually come to this settlement. Um, there is an actual place, and now they have to come to this decision, right? What what are they going to be doing?
0: Are they going to keep going, or are they going to keep turning around? Um, well, and at this point where they meet the river, she uh, in her vision, she's she sees this danger and again this pain, and she continuously moves into the pain, which is rewarding. And so when they get this river and it's poisonous, everyone knows it's poisonous. And is at this point in the river, or is it is later when they are like near a fountain. This is when
2: this, I think this is the
0: actual. She yeah. takes a drink. Yeah. And she Im- so she imbibes the poison directly into her, and, and then through her will and holding on to the pain, survives. Mm-hmm. But it gives her another vision of where to go next. Well, and she yep.
3: has this like connection with poison, right? Because it was the poison that was also part of her like ascension to the blissful one. So when she fought off that vampire, she'd actually got, wolf. get bit by the dire
0: wolf. And mm-hmm. that had and a then poison. That. also
3: had a poison too. So she has this sort of like giving. So and would you say
0: this is her Iocane powder moment? She's built up an immunity to um, it. Um, I don't think years. I can
3: pronounce that word, so no, I would not say it. Okay, <laughs> no. um,
0: but
2: so she drinks from this fountain, leads them onwards, and they end up in an ambush with a splintered
0: fang. warping. Can you skip
3: over the carnivorous grass, man? How could you?
0: Well, that's another theme of this: is that uh, plants are out to get you here the, in the, the environment this is world. out to get you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yes, they're, so they're kind of uh, moving up to this kind of crest yeah and the grass kind of this tall grass they kind of wade into it and it starts attacking to them and attacking them and uh, there's just a moment where so she's up on stilts these metal stilts that spike into her leg she's got these scythes for hands say,
3: fortunately she's basically a living lawnmower so. yeah and so
0: she just starts dancing and twirling <laughs> and there's a there's um a uh, uh you know just a um what's the that's term? why I wanted
3: to bring it up because I wanted to make the lawnmower joke so, yeah. Yeah, hands yeah. I get it
2: I get it
0: uh, so there's, just, she's just in a, in a trance, in a state. Uh, she gets into her dance and she just moves and she, she scythes it all down. Um, not before losing probably a few people, uh, and then moving on. Mm. Uh, and then they come upon markings of their brethren who have had passed this way before. So again, she's the, f- not the first to come searching for this Tower of Revels. Uh, she's just the latest in a line to receive the visions and get permission to go forwards. And she's found kind of where the last kind of people had fallen, um, and they realize that there's a trap ahead yeah. of them that's been laid. And uh Scar what's it? Scar, Scaras goes, It's a trap. You know, why would we even go here? And she goes, it's <laughs> she goes, No, we know it's a trap, which is why it won't work. Yeah. And we're going into it's not a trap, it's an invitation. So it's a challenge from the um from another war band. They go in. A little bit of chaos, double-think. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, to move us forward, they go through and they fight some splintered fang. And they know, so this poison in the water, splinter fang, it's all part of that theme. Uh, It leads her to where the tower is. Uh, By this time, more of her people have cut down. They kind of, fewer and fewer as they get there. And in the end, well, towards the end, it's her and Skrask. Right. right and they're they're
1: charging at this tower and there's splinter fang archers up on it uh, raining down poison arrows at them. it's like ah there's no way we're gonna make it and they've been they've been following the river that was part of her vision following this river which is leading directly to the tower of rebels which is their their goal and she's like you know at first, she gives some kind of, like, hey, we can do this. Like, we just believe hard enough. And then, and to
3: his credit, he follows along. He like, does, He charges, yeah. too. Yeah. Because
1: yeah. they found it. Like, I mean, this is this is a big deal. Like yeah. It feels like, hey, this is the first time anyone's done this. Uh, sure sucks that uh, Splintered Fang is already here, but let's mm-hmm. go kick him out. So, they're, they're charging in. Realize, like, ah, actually, like, we're not going to make it. And then she has it's this revelation. Pain. Like, oh, I just got to embrace the pain. So, she dives into this river and convinces Garas to jump in and then she's swimming in this like poisonous river of pain and goes
0: right into the inside of the tower. So like, and it's, I mean, to that point where this is, he believes now he does follow yeah. her and she can't swim because she's got metal, metal <laughs> hands she's and running so, along the bottom. So she's yeah. She's like <laughs> jumping and clawing like, and holding her breath in this yeah. poison. Listeners,
3: and, you can't see Eric's pantomime, but it, it's a, uh,
0: I look like a danger sloth, yeah. a war sloth. <laughs> Dangerous uh,
2: law. I prefer dangerous lot. <laughs> uh
0: but she they make it in and uh they're obviously so the, it seems like the archers on the wall and everyone who is guarding it think that they're dead and dumb for diving into the water um uh, because there's no alarms, nobody meets them inside. Uh there's a pretty terrific kind of um so so Skrask is mortally wounded. Uh, he they both ingest the poison. She survives it better than he does. Sure. She kind of there's a moment of like almost tenderness where she's like, "Oh, I'm gonna
1: lift you up. You're so weakened." And she's got to use her like crazy scythe <laughs> hands to like, "I'm gonna
0: lift you like gently you. so as yeah. not to accidentally cut your arms off and then put you down." Yeah. Yep. And so she goes, kind of goes to the end game. Um, Can't go up the ladder because nope. guess what? <laughs> <It does not laughs> when you're when you're walking around on knife stilts, um, It's pretty but tough. but they they find this an interesting mechanism with the tower where the poison is um, almost like, so there's a main water flow and this poison is one aspect of it. And she sees where that source of the poison is. And what she sees is that there's actually like some of the water being dammed up or kept from flowing. And so the poison is more potent than it should be. And she goes up uh, and fights the bad guys. There's this epic end kind of end battle of those that are inside it. she, opens the dam it, it uh, dilutes the poison and so the idea there is that there's enough poison to cause pain to everything that the water feeds down the road but it doesn't kill them so there's another theme of like the unmade want, want pain without death whereas the Splintered Fang want to poison things to death um, and she's the only one left standing
3: uh, on knife stilts
0: yep <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah. the tower is hers she's taken it uh and then she hears kind of uh war horns and uh realizes that outside a different war band not the splintered fang uh but something else some other war band has come to to challenge and take the tower and realizing that that the tower isn't just for her Right. She thinks back because
1: so these mechanisms. There were other mechanisms that she didn't use. It looks like, I mean, it almost feels like, you know, you'd see some video games like if I move this lever and this lever and combine these in this way. Mm-hmm. So it feels like there's these combinations of ways you can combine some of the different inputs for this river to make it amenable to particular war bands. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: I mean, it, it literally felt like you're playing King of the Hell. She's like, I got King of the Hell! Oh, crap. I'm not going to keep it for very long. We're going to have the story ends
0: we're going to have to take points on whether this is a board game coming out sometime or, <laughs> or a battle plan, but it, but yeah, like if you control it, the tower behaves the way that is true to your right, you know, kind of beliefs. And it yeah. kind of
1: gives the realization that the tower revels is not a one-time thing. Like they've probably been searching for this. It's just an eternal quest Yep, because you, know, you find it, you're going to lose it. And then you'll have the quest again. Yeah. The There's journey, lots, the lots. journey is the quest.
3: It's, well, the friends she made along the way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the gains she made along the way. Okay, um, but there's a futility in it uh, that it's a that is survival of the fittest, but at the end of the day, the fittest still might not be enough. Yeah, Pyrrhic victory. Yep. yep. Stay tuned to that channel. It's <laughs> <laughs> another podcast we're making. <laughs> um-
3: so yeah that, that sums up the the story in in a, in a nutshell um are there any uh, interesting takeaways that you guys got uh from this one my, one thing that i i in like right out of the gate um sort of realized at the end of this story is like we're talking about like sort of the futility of like chaos as a whole or like even living in in this area you you bring up Pyrrhic victories is is going to start being a theme i feel like sort of the futility of like actions is going to be a theme of this uh of this anthology as well that like it's constant turnover it's constant uh toil um and there's there's you're never in a safe spot like you're never like uh where really where you want to be um there's always a bigger fish there's always somebody who's gonna who's there to take stuff away from you and like you know know. it's hard to even acknowledge the fact that i was sympathizing with this character because she's such like a horrid like monster creature and yet when like she realized that like, she got her uh, goal, but then she immediately dawned on her she wasn't going to be able to keep it. Like, it dawned on me, and it made me sad. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, which, it, man, I am not cut out to live in the bloodless <laughs> world, is, is what I'm getting at, I suppose. Um,
0: I do think it's probably, uh, be- you're better off if you're only one foot in to chaos, or one foot into some of this, like... Think or of all those. No feet in- no, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, you think about all those other blissful ones that are like sure. judging yeah. whether or not she should be blissful and could go. Whereas they're just chilling, and yeah, they got some pain, uh, but they're not all in, yeah. right? They're chilling back on the other side of a realm gate. Yeah. Whereas like she's all in, and it is like the worst. Like you get to experience these highs, but at the end of it is just there's just no future. Yeah, um, it's like
3: if, if you're not archaic. But you're if, not going to come out on top.
0: If you were in a pain cult, yeah. would you want it to be yeah. short and sweet? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> or long and enduring? Yeah. Um,
1: the only thing I'd say is that uh, kind of drove home that there's a little bit of a, a slanish vibe to these Unmade, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, the extremes of pain, embracing that. She's a dancer at one point. The tower is called the Tower Revels. So, um, there's... there's None of these warbands are... We've already talked about none of these warbands are dedicated to a particular god, but they're they're worshiping chaos in an aspect, and that may be, you know, one of the four main chaos gods may uh, come to the come to the forefront uh, as part of their particular aspect that they're looking at, without even necessarily naming it. Or,
3: or being a member of some of these warbands may be sort of an introduction to, like, a, a chaos sure. god proper. I wonder if that'll come up with it.
2: it. And it um, yeah, um, I think I enjoyed quite a bit that it took a really unpalatable topic, right? Like, the background of the warband itself is
0: not, like, flaying one's body yeah,
2: flaying one's face off of your you know your skull and then mounting on your belt buckle and but at As the end you it was a sympathetic character right like you wanted her to succeed and, you and i like, don't know why yeah <laughs> well but i mean that's that's some really good writing right where you take something that is just not at all what you want to read about but you have a character that you care about and i think he did a good job of doing that so I wonder if Skrask had something to do with that, actually. The fact that he was
3: always sort of, like, naysaying. I wonder if that sort of – And you were like, me. hey,
2: Skrask, you're like an you, idiot. I, I hate it's... him worse
0: so that you like her a little more. I wonder if that was, like, I don't know, what intentional. Like, I don't
3: know. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, any other thoughts about Harrow or, or do we want to talk – just what 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 did you guys think? Just real quick
0: uh, review. It was the first one I read and I, I liked kind of <laughs> ripping the Band-Aid off. Uh, <laughs> with these uh, unmade yeah. and getting kind of just kind of that gross. Okay. I can stomach that. I can st- stomach the rest of it. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it was a, it was just a cool kind of straightforward arc.
1: Yep. I, uh, I read the iron promise first because it came out as an E short uh, before that, but so read this second, I might've read it before. Anyone. You might've already been started. Yeah. I don't know. I remember sending out a warning to the yeah. rest of the group. It was like, Hey y'all heads up. Like <laughs> this gets pretty intense, pretty fast. Like this, this prologue opens with her being like, I uh, couldn't sleep because I didn't have eyelids. Well, actually I still had them, but they were on my belt instead of my face. And I was like, <laughs> Oh my God. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I, uh, think it was uh, a little startling and uh, I don't know. I, I didn't, there was something unexpected about it. And like Paul was saying, I appreciate that. So maybe yeah. made me eager to read more.
2: I enjoyed it. Um, I re- it was the last one I read, but I think he did a really good job of matching the, the miniatures to the tone. I really liked the theme of embracing pain as a way of not embracing death. I thought that was a really cool and clear contrast that he made. So it, it was definitely uncomfortable at points, but sure. Um, points. Get it? Uh, it was fun because she
3: <laughs> had points on her. Um, I liked it. Uh, I, I think it was uh, well-written, and, and I think it was one of the trippiest of the stories as well, so it was, like, horrifying, but also even the setting and the places that we went, it was very, um, like, uh, abstract at times, which was, I mean, I, the, the flashback contributed to that, like, yeah. the the weird desolate right, waste where there was no, like, features or yeah. anything. The, the the tower itself is kind of, like, out there a little bit. Some of the other stories are a little bit more grounded, and this yeah. stood out as a wild, wacky um, trip.
2: Was any of uh, well, it real? You know, like, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, right? Like, this doesn't make sense, but you have to accept it because that's where the story is going and that's what the character believes, yep. right? Like, Yeah, exactly. So um, you get some of that, uh,
3: you know, elsewhere as well, but I feel like it was very hyper, like, uh, localized in in this story. Um, but because it was so different, um, if you were looking for a change of pace, I feel like we always talk about, like, getting a different perspective on things in our Black Library Fiction. I think this is an example of that. So I, I recommend checking it out. Let's go to the next one. Uh, we've got "Method of Madness" by Peter McLean. Uh, this is the uh, Cipher Lords story. Yep. We're following. Uh, I talked about it before. Vignes, Dang- Dang- damn it, Dan Nagia, uh, who he and his warband are rolling up on the city of Karngrad, which we had mentioned before. It's that city in the Bloodwind Spoil, and uh, Vignes. He's got big plans. Uh he's got high aspirations. Uh he's he's after power and he will do anything to get it. And by do anything I mean make his followers do anything to get it basically. <laughs> Not to say he doesn't get his hands dirty but he, but he does. Um So we're first introduced to him and his warband they uh I think are just initially arriving on Kargrad and butchering everyone they see. Like he's he's riding a palanquin and he's sending his mirror blades to dice
2: dudes up. So. This is an awesome palanquin. This is my favorite introduction of all the short stories. Describe it to me. I, I couldn't get a picture of what, what it <clears throat> so was. So basically, I, I mean, if you imagine Xerxes in 300, right? I he always has do. this huge set of stairs carried by these many slaves, mm-hmm. right? Like, that is who this character is. He is in this huge palatial um, thing that is carried by six or seven of his slaves. Um, It is so big that he has a throne and then he has two pits to either side that are eight feet deep. And they each have, one of them has his second in command inside of it, and the other one has this, like, basically sniveling little guy who is providing directions, right? So, it's like he's driving a semi through Age of Sigmar. This is how big this vehicle is. And he is in absolute and complete control of every character in his warband, right? Like it's opposed to where we just read with uh, the blissful one being like, "No, no, no! I need to convince you that my visions are true." The Cipher Lord is in specific drug-addled addiction worship from every one of his members, and is introduced as an absolute and complete leader,
0: authoritarian.
2: Yeah, yeah,
3: and a real nice guy.
2: Uh, but this palanquin
1: is too big for the road, so yeah. they go in and just start trashing trashing houses and hovels yeah, on the one, way through. One of his
3: mirror blades comes up. He's like, that's oh, not going to fit. We'll make it fit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And
1: this was kind of gnarly because right off the bat, they talk about uh, uh, the palanquin ground forward into the widened thoroughfares. All around them, families burned unmoored in their demolished hovels. It's like, oof, duh. Like yeah. we, I've, I've got one of those. Yeah. So a lot of times <laughs> like we, we Both. when we're talking about these... <laughs> everyone that is interacted with is like of fighting age or is a fighting person certainly especially when we think about chaos like we only ever see the the warriors and stuff but there is people are born maybe don't grow old but born and are born and die uh here in the bloodwind spoils and this is kind of a reminder that at some point you know every everyone's a kid apparently so that's yeah, it was, a little, it was a little rough even even in the context. It was just like a throwaway line. But sure.
3: yeah. Just because you're on the same Grand Alliance does not mean that you, know, you have any friends there.
2: Well, one of the other things is that he is definitely introduced, the main character is introduced as this very high-cultured, very intelligent person. And then he rocks up to the walls of the city. So like, okay, this is the, oh, right, we're going to have a discussion. He's going to negotiate. It's like. No, nope, he's just going to throw bombs, make everybody go freaking crazy, and just break down the doors. Like, and again, it's the negation of expectation here where you're like, this is somebody who's going to be an envoy. No, he comes in as a destroyer.
0: Now, that's interesting because um, uh, the Cypher Lords, the way they're often described is a very like behind-the-scenes, political-manipulating kind of thing. So I do get the side of this where he is in complete control through manipulation or drugs or whatever of his warband, but it seems very aggressive and straightforward. It's an aggressive
1: start, but he switches into the more typical, yeah, more expected side. Yeah, board. I was say he
3: slides but, into that um, pretty quickly. Um, tell me more. So uh, he, they, they make ingress into the into the city, and eventually they realize that like we just can't keep, we can't keep going this route because the palanquin's too big and the roads are roads are too narrow so some of the scouts um, locate a nearby armory where they're going to set up shop they're going to drop the palanquin off and sort of use that as a base of operations um, and so they do that oh no so they, they roll on over um, and I think by the time he gets there his followers have already like crucified the armorsmith who owns the thing um, and then at one point he, he pulls him down and gets information from him and then I think takes one of his blacksmith's hammers and crushes his head with it um, himself no less right like he does it yeah. so he's not he's not like this feeble no. like he, he's a he's a got some mar- martial prowess as well in addition to his bombs because i think he blows up uh that um that advisor that he sort of had mm-hmm. coerced into his so he's already oh, yeah. he's already got like two deaths like th- three pages in like under his belt um so he's also pretty capable
2: um one of the other things is that just to be clear when i said that like these are drug addled right like he is Flat out, 100% a drug dealer, and everyone in his war band is addicted to his drugs, right? That is why they believe in him. It gives him powers over them, and it allows him to have this, like, psychic link. Calls it mind-bound. Exactly. It calls it mind-bound, but, like, they are literally afraid of doing him harm and not listening, and they will suffer physical pain. And just, then he like, also...
3: just like us and our listeners.
2: Exactly. And then they also have <laughs> these little eye things that he can put somewhere and watch what's going on. So he starts planting these around the city. Is that part of the game? Yeah. I don't think there's any items. It's referenced, I don't know if there's any items. Mm. Um, and so, he hides a palanquin in some other building, but he takes this huge cargo and brings it into the armory. And starts... Dealing with the local politicians, right? Basically. So he finds out that there are these eight lords of Karngrad.
3: Talon lords,
2: right? Yep. And uh, this is where we... This story really embraces the civilization of chaos, right? So they are basically all slum lords. They get to power because they're strong enough, they're big enough. And gosh darn um, people like them. Exactly. And so Danegia uh, finds that there is this one slave master who seems to be in control of the area where he is in, because this is the poorest, most ignored part of Karngrat, which is why he chose to locate his base there. And so he goes and grabs this slave master and is like, I want you to go talk to this Talon Lord because... I want to start making this deal with him.
3: And by goes and grabs, he sends his mirror blades who are basically ninja assassins breaks Mm -hmm. into a building where like they're in the middle of a deal. It turns out the slave, this slave owner guy was like already had a target on his back from a bunch of other people in the city. So it's almost as if our cypher dude ends up saving him from like this fate, but then of course enacts a worse fate on him. Mm -hmm. Um, And all the while his mirror mirror blades are sort of fanning throughout the city and fighting off like these roof runners, which are basically whether they're like ruffians or they end up being like Corvus Cabal like uh, like folks like it's kind of a mix i think sometimes. Yeah. Um but anyways he, he he extracts this um local slum lord, so, yeah. yeah yeah in order to try to coerce him or you know use him to get get an in with the local like hierarchy of
2: yeah. you know chaos. And energies. so he starts feeding drugs to this guy, right? Like and He's he eventually, start by getting. You're talking about one of the seven talents, right? No, this oh, is else. this is actually the slave master. He starts okay. giving him drugs for information. Yeah, I don't think this guy. And then he mixes talons, up this good. like potion, this alchemical mixture. So he gives it to this guy, and then the guy's face literally comes off of his skull. It's like we're in another unmade story here. But instead of flaying, ritually flaying the face off, the, there's little things inside the the mixture that actually pull off the face. And then this main character Denegia, takes off his mask and puts this man's face on over his own. Why can't anyone keep their face on? I don't know. Place? It's a face off.
3: Oh, I'll get out of here. Face uh, facts. <laughs> I won't. So
2: yeah. So carefully,
1: end up with Nicolas Cage and yeah. John Travolta up in the. Sure, face,
3: and huh? then the dwellers below are gonna
2: copyright infringes or something. Tim, 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 Tim. Yeah. So as he takes off his helmet, this is the first time that we're we've known that this is actually a sense of his power, right? Like, he cannot take off his helmet in front of his followers without permission. This is a part of his power. But he can force his followers to take off their masks. And it is something that really, like, it basically treats them as slaves instead of not. They're not, they're not supposed to be
1: able to see his unmasked face. Exactly.
2: So he puts on this other man's face over his, and then goes into this fortress of one of the Talon Lords, with his unmasked people. And he brings an offering of this specific wine. Fire that is wine. The fire wine that is made by his people that live in the land of Hish. And turns out this slave master wasn't as well respected by the town lord as he thought. And so they just which, steal. Which
3: good, right? Like, I don't want anybody like that getting any sort
2: of Right, exactly. Because the, the guy that we're talking about, he's totally a great guy and you want to root for him. So, he gives this flask of fire wine and they just take it instead of paying him for it. But he's like, you know what? They got it. They're going to give it to their Lord. It's fine. So of course this flask is full of fire wine, but also this alchemical mixture that is a poison and makes the Lord start going flipping crazy. And also like turbo
3: addicted to it as well. Turbo, like, Yeah. So, I mean, it affects his mood and his, you know, like his mental state, but then that like, he gets, like mega hooked on it. Mm-hmm. And then they come crawling, you know, back to yeah. our guy saying, Hey man, we got to get more of that fire wine. Yeah. Um, Cause he's probably going to kill us if we don't. Yeah. Um, this, this being the Talon Lord that he was trying yeah. to get in with.
2: Um, so the Talon Lord itself evidently is a position that is very much based on the power of the person. Right. And so it's not even that he's necessarily intelligent, but just that he is the face of the power. And no matter what's going on with him, doesn't matter if they lose him they lose everything right so they start he starts extracting money starts planting these eyes in the palace itself um and just keeps getting the talon lord more and more addicted as a way of gaining political power and gaining favors right becomes somebody that is somewhat powerful within this place um,
3: I, I kind of forget how it ends.
1: Oh, <laughs> that there's, was the worst. I skipped. there is one point where uh, he's he's kind of overplayed his hand a little bit. Yeah, and he he uh, they say, "Well, how do we know it's not poison?" He says, oh, "Of course it's not poison." Well, you drink some, and yeah. he's like, "Ooh, boy, that is some gnarly stuff." But I guess I'm gonna drink it. Yeah. So he he takes a drink and then has to like you know walk really quickly home afterwards. But like, be cool, be cool, be cool, <laughs> and like. Gets home and is like starting to totally freak out and have all these hallucinations and try and cook himself up an antidote in time. That's it's the one point where the plan nearly nearly comes to pieces. Uh, there's some cool skirmishes along the way with the Corvus Cabal. Yeah, mostly his mirror blades fighting them. Some of them get strung up and all that sort of thing. I they were some of the one on one fights I really enjoyed. Like it, I was like, oh, I'm not sure who's going to win in this, and it was it was a cool. Well, duality
3: those two warbands are so i'll say evenly matched in that like they kind of s- do similar things right they're all speed agility like and and not even just in combat but even uh, off the battlefield and mm-hmm. that they both want to be like you know spy master behind the scenes type people so yeah. uh, all in all they, they are uh they serve as i don't know maybe good foils for each other i don't know if i'm using that word right but mm-hmm. um so it i think that they're
2: perfectly paired in this story to be you know sort of at each other's throats yeah
3: um, but how does it end? How does it end?
2: So eventually, the face itself dies, and he has to introduce himself as himself, and it's an envoy, and so myself. Yeah, exactly. And so it ends with the Denegia walking into the throne room, and the throne lord is just raving mad, and he brings in another barrel of fire wine. And the Throne Lord is talking about this lady. Talon Lord. The town Lord, thank you. The town Lord is talking about this lady that is giving him orders. And this lady is like the most disgusting, nurglified attempt at beauty that you can imagine. And it's an hallucination that the Throne Lord is having. Also a figment of his imagination. Well, but it's not actually a figment. Because Danegia is allowed to... uh, has the power to manipulate this manifestation and talk to the throne Lord and basically tell him whatever he wants. And as everyone else starts drinking the fire wine, he has poisoned it to the hilt and everybody just goes flipping crazy. And so basically the whole throne room just devolves into like a gelatinous mess of death and horror. It's
0: disgusting. Yum. So you're saying drinks and a feast?
2: Delish.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, so he gets what he wants, right? Like he, Because of that, he's able to like sort of usurp that, that power
2: structure. Wines yeah. and dines them. Yeah. Absolutely. And then sends his army to go out and kill the rest of the court Ball.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: um, so the first I thing I do.
1: Poison the whole district. Sure. Pour this in. That's the, that's the just so total chaos.
3: Yeah, that's the, the end goal. So like it, uh, also, throughout the story, they talk about how like they have their bombs and they like they'll like fumigate whole like buildings and stuff and drive like those whole areas like mad. So like that that is his mo, uh, and he does it does it well. That's basically it. That went way faster than the first one. Um, uh, great, awesome, cool. So uh, what are some takeaways? What are some fun things that you guys enjoyed about this story? The battles were awesome. It quick, it was super cool. Lightning quick, yeah, yeah. yep. Um, I really liked uh, my gal. Uh, uh, Samili Kalkis, who is his main mirror, main mirror blade. Mm -hmm. And so she's got um, this great relationship with these two under mirror blades. Like, she sort of treats them like she's like a mother. Call her mother. Yeah, exactly. Um, She's got a mother, I don't know if they're both sons, relationship with these other two mirror blades. And so, like, she loses one through the story. He gets strung up in a tree. Um, And so, like, that really hurts her. But, like, she's been in the I don't want to say employee because she definitely doesn't get paid um, <laughs> uh, service of our um, thrall master. Under since, the thrall. Of- yeah, on, exactly. Uh, since she was like, you know, three year old, three years old or something like that. So he's had her for a long time. Um, and just sort of, it gets in her brain a little bit. She's she's even a point of view once or twice in this story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sort of gets into the mind of somebody who could be so like hopelessly devoted to, you know, this thrall master. Plus she's just a, a BA on the, on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point she gets like pretty wrecked but um she has she like takes it a she where does it come she has it in a pouch or something she takes a drug um that makes her like super like amped up um and so she's able to like get out of a really hairy situation um but like then she like she comes down yeah yeah. comes down hard um right when like she needs it the most or something like that so like uh she she gets she she takes her licks as well as um she gives them so i think she's a a highlight highlight for me
2: yeah she was the most endearing character in the story if there was an endearing character. It, it talked it hinted slash
1: outlined some of her history, how she came to be mm-hmm. in the employ, and it, it was pretty gnarly. It sounds like she went through some awful stuff at a yes. very young age. Oh,
3: yeah. yeah. When they always talk about yeah yeah all the pain that she goes through in this story, she's like, Well let, you know, compared to what I've been through, like it, this is
2: almost nothing. N B D. Yeah. So as opposed to the unmade where they're embracing pain and voluntarily taking on this pain right the cipher lords are about causing pain and about causing addiction right mm-hmm. like the if this story says anything it's literally just drug lord rolls into town and gets everyone addicted and just rolls over everything and kills everybody in this way yeah and fucking right, madness like madness as well yeah
3: and because of that kind of makes you wonder if maybe there's a, a leaning towards a little bit of a zinch especially with like the plots and the plans oh, yeah, and the for craziness sure. and the madness yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think we have got a, a zinch leaning. The uh,
1: alchemy is as close as we get to sorcery. Oh, yeah, yeah.
3: Agreed, agreed. No. Um, any other thoughts before we roll to the next one? Just, oh, no, I guess we got to re- review. It. Oh, uh, sure.
1: I'll start. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed that we got to see Karngrad. That was cool. Uh, mm-hmm. So I recommend it for that. We'll say did not. Uh, Calsis rooted for her a little bit. I was actively rooting against the <laughs> the main dude for a oh, lot, yeah. and mostly because he rolled in like super arrogant, like uh, like. Here I am, because of who I am, I'm just going to own this place. I was like, man, I want this guy to get his comeuppance. Like, that's kind of like one of my pet peeves. I see someone who's like arrogant, and I want I to see them get taken down a pig. And uh, he didn't really. <laughs> so I was like, oh,
3: man. It's almost rare that you see someone with that arrogance and not have a fall towards him. Sure, yep, yeah. yeah.
1: I was. I thought it was setting up. I was like, ooh, it's going to be delicious when it happens, and then it didn't. Never so, did.
3: Yeah. Um, at one point, they say something like, my lord, I'm afraid these people don't know who you are. And then he's like, can you imagine living in such ignorance? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah direct quote but close enough. yeah um i enjoyed some aspects of the story but i had a real hard time with the hallucination and the description there was a lot of there was a lot of gore there was a lot of um just i don't know addiction too like there was a lot of very mental descriptions of things that were going on they were very visceral yeah it's interesting because uh there was a lot of
1: horrible stuff in the unmade story but generally mm-hmm. they were choosing to inflict it upon themselves and here is
2: being forced on other people exactly and that, that was harder yeah. for me so i did finish it um but
3: sure it's okay if you take off your face but if you take off somebody else's face then you've got a problem then okay. you're a bad man yeah okay i get that um i liked Turned as well to it, it might have even ranked uh pretty high is one of my favorite stories in in this anthology i liked the urban setting i liked like uh chaos in a city of chaos sort of thing like you know chaos up against like chaos which was kind of neat um although it was incredibly violent and there was a lot of fights going on it wasn't always about the fight which i think some of these other stories end up being like it's not just purely blades on blades type stuff Uh, sometimes you throw bombs in windows and make people go nuts um so it was a little different in that regard. I feel like we go back to that different aspect quite a bit. Um, yeah, no, it, it was it was neat. It was, like I said, it was kind of Zinchian, which um, is uh, sort of stands out again in this this war cry setting. So yeah, that's cool. Next one. Oh, I like this one. Oh, this one's called "The Devourers Demand" by Ben Counter. See, that's an easy name to say. Good job, Ben. Um,
2: told only he was a character yeah
0: uh how do you pronounce the main character's name
2: uh thornwinder
0: hey nice one
2: thank you is it not hey,
0: thornwinder eric nope uh eric tell me about <laughs> thornwinder start us off yeah so this was um uh, this is untamed beasts and they've also recently come through a realm gate and kind of a select war band realm gate from where From Gur, thank you. Um, And uh, it comes from the perspective primarily of a plains runner, which is one of their kind of lowliest. And um, it's a very; these are the very kind of carnal. uh, Use bone weapons and live off the land. They're very much about how the land provides. Obviously, when you're coming from Gur, and this the the land of Gur is often characterized as being animal, having animalistic tendencies. You know, devouring things, eating things.
3: I wouldn't want to live off of that land.
0: Nope. Um, so they, they very much, uh, their their version of a chaos uh, deity is the land, uh, the devourer. Um, very much, I mean, you think about like the maw from the ogres um, or, you know, those sorts of things, things that eat. And so the they come through the wrong group. They kind of have one of these first fights. Um, and uh, this planes runner is kind of, just again, this weakling, scrawny, they're small, they're not built like the heart eaters, which are these Conan the Barbarian sized, you know, uh, you know, swollen with chaos kind of guys. Um, and they get into this battle and early on, uh, the beast speaker of the tribe um, calls, you know, sees, uh, I'll put it this way, Thorn, Thornwinder kills somebody. And the, the beast speaker calls out and sees that he did this. And he calls to everybody else, and he goes, "Look, the whelp killed something. If you haven't blooded anything yet, you know, even the whelp has done it. Yeah. You know, and so he really uses him to shame uh, the rest of the tribe into action. And he really takes offense. He's saying so, the shaman with shame people. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so uh, uh, they get further into the battle, and he identifies the leader of this war band. And I think this is a place we were talking about, Davy. Um, this is." Supposed to be an unmade warband, but the descriptions of the unmade here aren't as crystallized as they are in the game and are as, as in the first story. Um, and so this may have been written before some of these concepts were as solid as they are now. Mm-hmm. Um, the The leader of the unmade was a, is a rotund or you know very uh, large individual, which could I mean very well could be a blissful one, just and who's larger and not just skin and bones and, and flay, you know, yeah. but they don't mention the flay that, and, and they think they talk about flails and that sort of stuff. I so, wonder
3: if every unmade warband band isn't the same though, right? Like in,
0: right. Uh, and I think that that's interesting here too. And when you give the, the author's room to kind of describe mm-hmm. and write, uh, because of the, with, uh, they talk about some of the other characters in the unmade beasts as having bows and arrows and, you know, those sorts of things. So they're very, I mean, they're very tribesmen. Mm-hmm. They're using a lot of those tropes. So, there's a a leader, he identifies it, uh, this leader, uh, and he goes after the leader. And there's a a moment here where uh, he feels the devourer calling to him. And, again, kind of the same way that Graveskeen kind of goes into the, like, goes towards the pain. He goes towards the challenge, the biggest, strongest thing, and feels rewarded by the earth and feels like the earth is lifting him up, and he, it, it I mean, and this is one of it's those points where, it and, it, it, him well, up. and this is one of the points where I think you could argue: is it, or is it? Is this in his mind, or did this actually happen? Now it just says he's coming down on the guy, but again, it's his perspective. So he's coming down on the leader, and the leader um, catches him, or you know, there's a battle. He ends up. Uh, finding the strength and the will and the devour, the strength of the devour. And he kills the leader.
3: I think at one point he drops his knife into his other hand and then,
0: and, and <laughs> an Arya Stark. Stabs
3: him. Yeah.
1: <laughs> there is, there is the, his first blow that's going to be the killing blow is blocked by the warlord who holds up his hand and just gets his arm chopped, like halfway through his forearm, just splits it all the way down. The warlord keeps, keeps rolling after that. Cause he's on. He's like, I'm into yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. Thank you.
3: I was yeah, going to yeah. do that later. Actually, thank so. you. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, but this is a turning point for him, for especially for his tribe, because he then uh, takes the head, carries it around while everyone's kind of like burning the bodies and sitting down for a meal, etc. It's like he's just holding on this trophy, almost like making sure that everybody in the tribe sees that he's the one who killed it. Did
3: you, did you, did you see what I did? Did you see this? See this yeah, head yeah, that yeah.
0: I got? Yeah. Yep. And I think the heart render actually gives it to him or awards it to him or whatever, basically. But there's. Um, a moment, he has a conversation with the shaman of the tribe, or the I'm trying to think what the name of his position. The bee speaker.
2: I think he called it.
0: Um, so I, th- it could be, but it, this was almost like an elder of the tribe, and I don't know if he's a bee speaker. Again, some of the it could have been intended to be a bee speaker, but some of the language. Um, and he asks him, "What? What are you here for? Like, why did you come through the gate? Like, you're the smallest dude here. Why did you come?" Uh, and he gives uh, kind of a little bit of a, a speech, saying that you know we'd conquered everything over there; everything was ours. So there was nothing for me to do, nothing for me to lend myself to there. So we came here because the Great Devourer deserves all the rest of this. And they kind of start talking about the mantra. The mantra is to tear things down. And he even asked them, and this was kind of cool. But isn't the the Varenspire like a civilization or a structure? You know, if you if you're here to tear things down, what about the Varenspire? And he says. Hmm. Well, after we've d- teared down everything else held by order or man or whatever, then we'll take down the Baron's Tower too. So like, there's. <laughs> I love. I I love this aspect. and Maybe that's why I'm drawn to this warband. Is that this idea of like you know, again, everything needs to go. Even Archeon's <laughs> tower needs to fall. And there's just there's just like an unbelievable like delusion of grandeur in this
3: and don't you get the impression that like if Archeon rolled up and asked them they'd be like yeah no we'll, we'll tell you yeah i'll tell you to your face we're going to ta- we're going to tear that mother down like
0: yeah yeah so well and i mean there's a side to it too like did archeon tell everybody to build this thing or did they just build it
4: mm.
0: Archeon doesn't go- doesn't live there yeah, he doesn't hang you know, out you're like there. uh but so this was definitely a turning point he gets some credibility. He becomes what they call a Corsair or a Planes Runner. Um, he gets a, that's his first position of power. Um, and this was cool in this book where then it fast forwards some time, maybe a year, uh, and it sees him on a hunt. And he has tracked this thing called the Haro to a part of uh, a hunting ground or whatever. And this is where, they, again, they talk about how the earth is trying, like, the, the land is trying to eat them. Like, there's plants, there's, like, flowers that are trying to, you know, like, chomp on a foot, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, and this, he describes this beast as being kind of this dragon-type thing, this, this scaly, um uh, large beast. Uh, a gore drake. Is it a gore? Yeah, so dragonish, And it's constantly bleeding out of its scales, like gills. And it's this weird, like, why is it doing that? Uh, come to find out that it—that's its way. It lures people to it, thinking that it's wounded. So I'll follow this blood trail, and it—and then it ends up like being tracked. And then it knows when it's being tracked, and then it traps its tracker. So it turns on him, and so he has this delusion that he's going to kill this, take it back to his tribe, and become you know the best. And so he narrowly escapes with his life. He ends up, but he, in that, kind of, like, realizes that, like, the power, like, it's strength. Strength is the most important thing. He ends up, like, getting cornered at this ledge and jumps off this, you know, thousand-foot cliff into the water. You know, something like that. Uh, But not many people come back from hunting this thing. It kills them. But then he gets scolded. He gets back to the camp and gets scolded for using, if he's a resource for the tribe, he's gone and done this thing where he could have been used over here and the saved tribe members in battles and combats, et cetera. But he went off this thing that was meant for heart renders or heart eaters and like leaders. Like that's who kills that thing, not a planes runner. Uh, and again, so he's belittled and, and made to feel less than. And so he, he kills the dude. He just jumps on him and starts punching him until his face is just mush.
2: He ends up punching well, ground. Yeah. One of the, plot points, I think, that didn't, might, might not have been as clear is that um, it's not that he's just like, well, I'm a cool dude. I'm this person who deserves this thing. He's feeling this voice. He's feeling this other destiny to him, right? He doesn't kill the old man because he's like, uh, he's telling me I'm an idiot, so I'm going to kill him. He's like, no, no, no. I was told to do this. This is what I'm supposed to be doing, right? If I remember correctly, we're coming back to this idea that there is a voice given to individual characters, like a purpose and a mission. And that's what they're doing. And this B speaker represents somebody saying your voice and your mission is wrong. And he kills him because he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I know what's right.
0: Well, it's that it's this, everything around him is telling him to, to, to pick the thing that's strong and big and tear it down. Mm-hmm. And so he's, He's trying to do that, and it's often outside, still outside of his station. So, mm-hmm. there's a his desire to, to, to um, follow that, but then being curtailed by, well, that's not your place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, he's definitely got a voice telling him, kill the stronger thing. Fight, hunt the stronger thing. But then there's a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Again, part of what he's being told is to tear down hierarchies. So, he gets up. But he's... But he's also, I mean, I, I don't want to rationalize what he did, right? It wasn't about being rational. Like he was absolutely irrational and murdered this dude. Um, and so the, the tribe sees that he's been a traitor on this, on, on their leader, uh, their elder, and then they banish. So they take him out. The heart render decides that instead of killing him, which is too easy, they banish him. And basically it's that you're alone. Right, you're alone in the blood wind spoils. You're alone in the eight points, and when you're alone in the eight points, the eight points will kill you painfully over time, etc. But there's it's inevitable. So
3: they also stick a like an arrowhead or something under his skin, like in his cheek, yep. to mark him as a um, exile or something, so that like no other pack would ever pick him up because yep. of yep. this like mark that they had. He has.
0: So he goes on a little bit of a journey, surviving, die, like almost near death a bunch of times, still pushing on again. Here's where it's that delusion. Is it real? Like, is the great devourer really on his side? Is it keeping him alive? Is it, he talks about it like forming the land again to kind of push him where he needs to go. Uh, and he happens upon the battlefield where he first killed that that leader. Mm-hmm. As if he was
3: directed there. It right. Yeah, the impression this, he gets. Yeah, yeah, that the,
0: I must have, you know, the land pushed me here. And he sees uh, the head that he had killed. They mounted up all the bodies put that leader's head on a pike but it was there but it was as if it was had just been cut off yesterday but this had been time had come on years i was
3: gonna say it would, it would probably feel nice to see a familiar face but <laughs> <know>. <laughs> well there
0: is a wilson moment here right uh like uh, this the Castaway, where he talks he the head he talks to the head first expecting it to talk back to him and then it does uh and then it It speaks to him and challenges him to what, again, back to his purpose. Your purpose is to tear things down, Mm -hmm. to see every tower come down, every wall to come down, um, et cetera. And what do I have to do? Uh, He says, drink. And so he cuts the skull off this thing, and it's full of blood, and it's just an endless cup. So, again, is this real? Is this his delusion? He's drinking it in. It's blood everywhere. like.
3: I'd say we've probably seen weirder stuff in
0: Age this, of Sigmar. Oh, yeah, I would definitely say it's real. But What well, I'm not saying is is it. yeah, you're right. It could totally be possible. I just like the play of whether yeah. or not it's in his head that this is how it's happening or if he's actually like drinking from an endless if cup this, of blood. If this, this were skull. any
3: other setting, I would agree with you. But, like, <laughs> man, this is the one place where it's almost assuredly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I got
0: you. So it directs him and he has to kill the Haro. It says, you have to go and take that beast down. Um, uh, so
3: Fast forward's quite a bit, right, in time? Yep. yep. yep.
0: Um,
3: which is kind of a bummer because it skips over what I think was one of the things I was most rooting for or, like, looking forward to seeing. Which is, is? When he rolls back up to his, his old uh, war band and then just kills everybody who, who exiled yeah, him.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, th- so, real quick, the cool scene in, in so he goes to fight the harrow and he wins, but he he decides he can't be more cunning than the harrow. The harrow is, is, is just strength. Like, the way you beat it is strength. And this scrawny guy, I'm sure he's been more ripped or whatever. But like the earth respects him. It doesn't try and kill him. Like the tree he climbs up in to hide just kind of covers him. Uh, And he goes to fight it. And the Haro bites down on him. Like so his body's like halfway in, halfway out. He had like uh, launched a javelin into its eye. And he just like pure muscle like starts ripping the skull off of this thing. and, and, And kills it. So it's just this but it's this again de-evolution into rage, mm. et cetera, so yeah, fast forwards he's now the heart render of his tribe, he's gone back and he's wearing like the heads of like he's gone back and beat the beast speaker, he's gone back and beat the heart render, you know he's in, wearing like,
3: the head of the uh, the heart render, he's wearing the hands of the the archer uh, the Beast speaker uh, yeah. yeah um and and he's and he's wearing the tanned hide of the Beast speaker uh, yeah, so uh, yeah. yeah, so he's just uh,
0: they adorn him like those are his memories now. Blinged out, <laughs> and, he's, and he's
3: still got the uh, what is it, an arrowhead or spearhead yeah. in his eye, and he, he basically is the unspoken dare to anybody to ever bring it up, and yeah. no one ever says a word
0: about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and so now they are have been tracking over this ridge and looking down upon an iron golem fortress uh, that they've just built up this huge foundry, uh, and they this is kind of cool. They have you know there's two iron golem uh, dominars, their brother and sister. And they both have a throne surrounded by anvils and and forges, and they're just overseeing every single weapon that comes through there. It's very industrial it's very like uh you know um you know just think of the iron age you know if to get to
3: pick something to tear down like that's a prime candidate yeah right?
0: yeah, yeah yeah uh the, the industri- military industrial complex uh so they go in but as he's going in he's realizing he needs to tear these down he goes in and fights, and the voice in his head says. You need to tear every wall down. And and so that turns his mind towards his own tribe. Mm-hmm. And that even that needs to go. And so as they're all like, he's riding in on an avalanche of earth. Like he's earth surfing in. He comes down on it. And then he starts, you know, they all start fighting. And he just turns on everybody. And starts killing uh, un- untamed beast and uh, iron golem alike and uh smashing face and then everyone everyone's like, Okay, I know that we're supposed to be fighting you, but that dude is crazy and they all <laughs> dog pile on him, uh, and take him out and like the last thing that happens is like just yeah, there's a pile in the middle and, you know, he's in the middle just getting taken down. Uh and the story ends with years in the future or sometime in the future, another heart eater, uh Coming upon this site, seeing this place, walking up to this pile of bodies and the head on top, fresh as if it were just uh, uh, decapitated yesterday, and it speaks to her of tearing down walls and towers and to drink of it. As so. it
1: the head of our main character—that's how he closes it closes out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: Back to
3: when he goes wild or he goes crazy and he starts killing everybody. There's a there's a phrase. Tell that me. sort of triggers his uh, his his change of character or you know perspective. It's because the the reason he's willing to both kill the iron golems and the untamed beasts is because it doesn't matter where the blood flows from. Oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: and that's yeah. and that was the twist I didn't expect. Yeah. Like all along the way, the characteristic of this voice is feels very untamed beast. It yeah. feels like in my head, I'm like, okay, he's following the god, the devourer of the untamed beasts, and the. These other brethren, brothers and sisters, and tribesmate—they're like maybe um, adhering to their each other too much. Like he's the one who's being the real untamed beast. Uh, turns out, yeah, uh, corrin has been talking to him. Well, and, hell, yeah. and 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 spoiling him to just become this crazy murder dude. Uh, and it, it like that's the ri- that's the journey of some of these war bands where as individuals or as tribes can diverge from their kind of their sh- soft chaos mm-hmm. into super like one of these yeah. four gods and just go all in and what that means yeah i mean i could see it i could see it in a couple ways i could see it as explicitly
1: corn being here i mean obviously there's that that hint in there mm-hmm. but um it could also be since some of these aspects of chaos they worship are like kind of a a combined, you know, all that like this may be the the cornate aspect of the devourer. So it could mm-hmm. still be the devourer, but
2: yeah, devour, it comes to four. I saw it almost as just like some lowly demon is like, "Hey, I can get a hold of this one person, right?" And like maybe that is a blunder or something, but like I didn't see it as corn giving him attention, right? He didn't get any mutations. He didn't get any special power. It well, was starting like, like, to be a living head. Well, no, I, yeah. I think no,
0: I did. I do think he got special powers. Sure. Like so the dude was. On but his but own natural, blood I don't feel
2: coronate, but uh, yeah, I definitely think he got untamed. I mean, it was powers.
0: just raw brute power where like this, this small body could rip the head off of this, you know, uh, yeah. Drake. Well, so like, I think, I think the special powers were there mm-hmm. because he's a planes runner doing ridiculous things. And, and I think carrying out where the blood flow from yeah. where the blood flows is the hint. Mm-hmm. Right. That doesn't mean though you can't read it as yeah it could be another see it, you know like sub it could have been a bloodthirster calling to mm-hmm. him right I'm
3: gonna take it at face value I think Corn's knocking on that door sure it was and uh, in, in bringing this dude into
2: the fold see what I felt like is that this was the story of somebody from the untamed beasts who was succumbing to lesser chaos right or greater chaos right. Because the untamed beast had a very specific structure of like how life was going on, and if we go back to the cypher lords story right the the main character is very much living out what the cypher lords were doing. If we go back to the untamed, very much living out what the untamed were telling them to do unmade uh, yeah, sorry, the unmade with this one, the main character is going against everything the untamed beasts stand for, which you're absolutely right does does fit in with the storyline but it doesn't fit in with the civilization. And at the end of the story, we find out that he's actually following something that's not part of the Untamed beast, you know, legend. So, it, I thought it was really interesting because we read two stories where you you follow in and do exactly what you're supposed to. Yep. And this is the person where the character, like, was obviously intended to be wrong. He shoots his best friend in the eye, like, at the beginning of the end of the battle. Like, this guy who's like, oh, this is awesome! This is great! You're such a great guy! And he just turns around and shoots him in the eye, and you're like, Okay, I don't like that jerk a, anymore. That guy's a, direct, a total jerk. Direct quote from the book, too. yeah. So that was cool. Again, with subverting
0: expectations. Yep, I did not see that twist coming at the end.
3: I didn't either. Um, what are some other things that we liked? Though, obviously, the corn thing was the biggest one for me.
1: I just like getting a sense of what, because uh, there was this idea of the tribal hierarchy, and to me, of the of the three we've read so far, this is the first one that gave me, or of the three, gave me the most sense of what it was like to be a normal uh, chaos worshiper, normal being in air quotes for those who are listening and not yeah. watching. Yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> I, I hate saying this without Josh here to uh, to rebuttal. So we'll talk about it on the next uh, dogs of war cry. But just this last uh, week, I played a game against Josh where my planes runner ran up and uh, triple critted his uh, thrall master. Uh, so there's the idea of this, you know, the smallest, the weakest, Coming up and having the capability to tear down something greater uh, is a you know is something that we all kind of want to be able to accomplish more than our you know too big for our britches kind of thing uh, and so there is definitely that kind of I was feeling that as I was reading into it because that was already happening on mm-hmm. the table for me
2: so mm-hmm. this definitely had also a bit of a like a Norse or a chaos marauder old world feel to it the story at least a very tribal very. Um, very classic Warhammer feel to me. All
3: right, cool. Uh, we'll do the reviews. Um, I I liked it. I, I wouldn't say it ranked particularly highly uh, for me from just a pure black like, plot storyline, um, but the twist with the corn thing is really what like sealed the deal for me. So like that that cemented it in the, the thumbs up category uh,
0: for me. I just like the time differentials. Like it just kept skipping ahead, uh, which just it just gave me a sense of I don't know making it more important by Spanning time, I guess. Yeah, I liked it for that uh, interesting, interesting
1: structure to the to the story that uh, made it engaging above and beyond. You know what you were learning about the Age of Sigmar universe.
3: It's cool. Paul thinks it's cool. All right, let's go to the next one. We're going to read uh, or talk about Proving Ground by Sarah Cockwell. Um, and so this is the uh, Corvus Cabal story.
0: Is uh, it weird that part of her last name is Call? And we're talking about ravens.
3: What? No, I didn't realize. Yeah. I wonder. Sarah, tell us about it. Um. So, uh, this story, this is another one of those stories that kind of starts out a little, like, trippy. Because it goes into, like, sort of a preamble about, like, this tree and, like, the sort of the outskirts of the city. Because this is another story that is set in Karngrad. Is that what it's called? hmm Excellent. Nailed it. Um. So nailed
2: it. Yeah, the tree has
3: oh, thorns. In it. I when I was that. talking
0: earlier about kind of that journey into the city, this is the story that kind of gives you that outskirts, then into the suburbs, and then into the city proper, etc. So sure. it does that kind of brings you in, and then you're up on the rooftops. Yeah, up. with Santa Claus. Click.
3: Damn it! Um, all right, so we're following Locke, <laughs> who is a spire uh, stalker of the Corvus Jim, Cabal. Jim Jimmery,
0: Jim Jimmery, Corvus Cabal. <sighs>
3: uh, and so I think that the story opens with that little segment about the treat. But like when we meet Locke, he's on a rooftop and he's getting chased by a bunch of um, splinter fangs. So apparently they're just the quintessential bad guys in this anthology. Um, and so he's sort of leading them on a, on a chase. And eventually, I don't know, he gets tired of it or something. He turns around and he's like, oh, man, it's three on one. They should have sent more. And then he proceeds to like very hand- <laughs> very, hand- yeah. very handily uh, deal. This with is an uneven
0: battle. Yeah. <laughs> for you, yeah, for you. Um,
3: because because I mean, this is his, his landscape is yeah. the, the rooftops of this city, and so mm-hmm. he he handles them pretty pretty easily. Um,
0: what do they call? Uh, what do, what do the chorus call um, everybody else? Low, the low uh, ones, the low folk, low folk. Oh, the the sense I got was like they're up high. There could be many layers sure. to this, but certainly they're the ones who live up, are up in the in the tops, uh, master the the roofs, and everyone else has to be stuck on the ground and intention. the splintered fang are not as adept at this no no
2: this is my easily my favorite description of the fighting they're talking about the slate roofs and like the corvus cabal is dancing from tile to tile and the splintered fang are just like cracking tiles and falling off the roof and almost you know like they can't contain themselves um which is uh, I, I thought it was just a super evocative
3: and very clear picture Sure. Okay. And it's at this point, and I think later on in the story too, it, always, it talks about his clawed boots a lot, and like he's always about to slip, but like his boots like catch, like so he's 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 decked out in accoutrement that allows him mm-hmm. to like you know I, to handle the. the I do feel it
0: justified referencing parkour again, though. <laughs> sure, yeah.
3: uh, as like, and every time he jumps, he yells parkour. Yeah, parkour. <laughs> <laughs> um. So. Uh, he fights off these Splinter Fang and he takes trophies from each of them. So he's cutting off hands and teeth and a bunch of other stuff. Man, that also seems like a theme of this anthology. Um, and he proceeds to meet up with a contact. And I can't remember what they talk about or what the contact looks like, but I remember it being weird. Like, what was the. This,
1: this is what. Uh, let's see. Uh, you have the price for such a distorted face, the voice was mellif- uh, mellifluous, yep. uh, even pleasant. And uh, so it's some weird kind of mutant thing. And I can't remember if this was, like, what was the low folk or low mm-hmm. folk was everybody. But, like, there's some weird, like, subhuman race that exists in and around the city that they use as contacts.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, at the at the beginning, they mention somebody who's got a mutation and how, like, they scavenge and that they're, they're not tolerated by much. You get it here. And at the end, you see somebody else who seems to be kind of like a witness. Mm-hmm. Like they're the eyes and ears, uh, the these mutated uh, people. I get the sense that they're kind of the eyes and ears of the city, and I think he's using them to to spread information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So we find out that he's being ch- he was being chased because he lured them into chasing him, mm-hmm. um, and he's kind of trying to pick off some of these splittered Fang little by little.
2: Yeah. Um. So, like Carngrad itself, right? Is Carnal City. Card, grand Got it. Right. And they talk about how these low folk, right, they survive on the droppings of everything that's going on. And in, in Corvus Cabal's story here, it's very literally like the things that drop from the higher levels of the city because the poor can't afford to live anywhere else. So they're scrabbling and eating whatever food substance that adds on the ground which turns them into these, like, base humans. He says, like, when he kicks the people off the roof, he's like, they're going to eat well tonight. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. because they're eating the bodies, right? Like, anything that falls from above. And we also got this a little bit in the Cypher Lords, too. When he got into the city, it's just like, these are just the the scum of the earth, right? This is what the Chaos City is. That anybody who cannot make it to a place that's defensible is basically just garbage. <laughs>
3: It's almost as if someone should make a cool shantytown board to play Warcry Ryan.
0: Uh, no pressure. <laughs> uh, Working
2: on it. So uh, Locke talks to this informant, and then he goes back to this like the nest, nest. Yeah. inside of a building. So nice. you might think of like, oh, it's supposed to be this like bunch of bones, and we're on top of a roof. It's in that. No, it's actually like some little hidden room back in a building. So it's metaphorical, not literal. Yeah, it's a little bit more metaphorical. Um, but then he deposits these treasures. In a little pile in a corner of the room. That's what I call it too. And they call this the pick, right? Like their leader, um, the strike master, uh, strike talent. Sorry, um, has first pick over all the trophies that are there. And as they go down in um, status, as they go down in status, they they get lesser and lesser things from the pick. Mm. But this is something that is specifically spelled out in the background book, but also in this story is that these trees have a special meaning to them and they they very much are like ravens. They like shiny things, they want to collect treasures, and they put it on themselves as well. They'll wear these shiny things as well. Mm-hmm. But when they give sacrifices to their god, which is the Great Gatherer, they literally pin bodies on these trees that have these huge thorns poking up out of them, and then the pick is beneath it. But in Karngrad that's a little disrupted because they have these lowborn that live in the ground.
0: So this is where we get some hierarchy between him and the Shrike, uh, master Shrike Talon. Talon. Um, he's reporting back to her and he's about this. We kind of discover more about this plan that, that he is supposed to be, uh, kind of ahead of, and that's kind of pulling out the, there's a definitely a, a tension between the Corvus Cabal in this area and the splinter fang, uh, for this territory, for this space, and they're trying to eliminate the Splintered Fang, and so they're trying to draw out the true blood or the kind of the master of of the Splintered Fang. And so um, he says it's in motion. He's got you know he's got plans, and uh, she, he's got something that he's trying to do. And can I have support? And she's like, "You'll have enough." And so we just get a sense that there's a hierarchy. There's a um, part of playing the game as a chorus cabal is winning favor and getting people to flock with you. Yeah. So like yeah.
3: the idea is like he, he has to get, he has to convince people to join him. Like, you know, yeah. they'll, they'll join him if they want to. Like, yeah.
0: Okay. But it's interesting as a hierarchy and it's not, it's not a command. It's a proving yourself and, you know, people fall more like, I guess a little bit, I don't know, The blissful ones, you know, kind of in kind of were given war bands um, the like Thrall Master little... kind of, uh, you know, just controls people. Creates them. The yeah. um, Untamed Beasts have a structure that they want people to adhere to that's a, a prove yourself kind of like that. And so this might be more like that, but it almost feels like independent. Like, see who you see who you can gather or muster around you. Yeah. Or can well, trust you.
3: And it, they don't seem like permanent things. Like, uh, depending on what you're doing, you may or may not get people, like, joining up. Yeah. Um, mm
0: mm-hmm.
2: I mean, like, I think I've got the sense that they were birds, right? They literally can be, they're just everywhere. And so if you want to go do something, go. Great. Have fun. If you can bring people with you, great. If not, then it's not important enough, right? Like, it is, the organization is that there is no organization. So whoever wants to follow you will follow you. And that determines how powerful you are.
3: Kind of like this
0: podcast. A little bit. A little bit. I don't know. I feel like you're a little more of a thrall master. <laughs> yeah,
3: well, I mean, it is all the drugs I give you. Mm. Uh, at any rate, uh, so he he eventually sets his, his plan in motion. And I think the scene cuts at this point or around yeah. this time where we actually get the uh, splintered fank perspective, which is odd because this mm-hmm. is very sort of squarely uh Corvus Cabal um, story, um, but it turns out they have picked up the rumors that um, Locke has been laying down, which is to say, um, up what they've, laid down. they've heard that a, a you know an ancient Splintered Fang artifact has been found in the city, mm-hmm. um, and they want to get their hands on it, basically. And so uh, they're willing to do anything to go get it. Yep, that's really about it. Like it's just, it just it gives you the perspective of like, all right, well, the, to show you that the the plan that Locke is put into place is, is, is taking
2: hold. Um, and there's there's two things that are unique about this story is that number one, we get a first person perspective from two different war bands. We have the theoretically the good guys and the bad guys, right? But number two is that we don't really have any description or consideration given to where the Corvus Cabal came from. We don't really have a this is where our city the was origin from origin or this is the what what about the realm that we're bringing with us. The Corvus Cabal just kind of are, which kind of goes Are about. you
0: saying their background is still shrouded in shadow and mystery? It absolutely is. From Ugyu?
2: Um And so when we're introduced to this second warband of the Splintered Fang, this spear was lost and is now found, and if this person gets the spear, then they'll become the most powerful Splintered Fang that there is, and have all kinds of followers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, which uh, ends up leading to this uh, long path through the desert for the Splintered Fang. They're trying to catch this caravan.
1: Yeah, oh. it has the uh, kind of a thing we've seen before where the Splintered Fang are like,
0: it's too good to be true. It's probably a trap. But what if it's not? Yeah. <laughs> <What>? <laughs>
1: well,
0: what then if? a little bit of a, and if it's not a trap, then we'll kill whoever's, the, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. we'll we'll trap the trap. Yeah. Because we know it's a trap. <laughs> we so know it's it can't trap, be a trap. So it can't be a trap. We'll listen to the trap <laughs> music. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, you know, like, so we kind of get the, that Locke's kind of plans and machinations kind of get to them. It, they fill out the, fill in the dots, kind of enough there to prove that maybe it is real. Connect the
3: dots and fill in the blanks? Uh,
0: yep, yep, crossword puzzle, um, uh, Sudoku. And then they kind of go for it. But, so then uh, Locke gets his flock, and he's a little disappointed that it's only ten yeah. uh, members. He's and. And he's trying not to feel bad about it, but he feels bad about it.
2: As he's like trying to get out of Karngrad to go pursue this, they get ambushed by a flock of harpies. Furies. Oh, I forgot about the, I
0: forgot about the <laughs> furies.
2: furies. Furies, sorry. And they get ambushed by a flock of furies. I, I
0: really like that they sidetracked this for this, because it's in the game, and you wanted it somewhere. Yeah. This was a really cool place, because they're up on the rooftops. So yeah. They come down to this plot, and they've just fallen into... Uh, a fury trap. <laughs> well,
2: like, and it's like super, like, kind of meta ironic of like the people who have feathers and act like they can fly are getting ambushed by the things that can actually fly. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, and he says he's like, I should have scouted it out, but he was thinking so much about his revenge and get his plans, his machinations that he just wasn't paying attention. And and that's, I mean, that, again, part of the story of chaos is that you get hell bent on something and then something takes you out, right?
2: Well, and, but they're also looking at this tree, right? This, and then they're like oh these are fresh kills here this is actually one of their holy trees right the thorns etc this is a recurring theme so this is theoretically a sign to Locke that his mission is not necessarily you know blessed by the great gatherer because they're being ambushed at this place of reverence uh there's the the fury
3: attack uh they're able to fend them off but they lose a lot of people in the process and Locke does not have enough, like, a lot of folks to begin with. So, like, these losses hurt them. Um, But they're able to progress or, like, you know, make their way, I guess, out of the city. Like, what what happens next? I feel like this story I
0: don't remember as well. we flip back to the Splintered Fang. Uh, They've been delayed because the weather changed. Um, And here we get bone shards or a bone storm or something like that where shards or spears or something is coming out of the sky. And, like, everybody's getting, like, shredded or whatever. And her advisors are saying, "Hey, let's hold up. Let's wait." They've got scouts out there. To tell us back, and she's like, "Let's keep going." Um, and so it's low visibility, night is day, day is night, whatever. They're traveling through a ravine, um, and they end up getting to a forest. And this is the place we were at, at the very beginning. This is the sacred place for the Corvus Cabal, and where Locke had intended them to get uh, driven to. Ending's a little. This last part is a little bit confusing because you start from the point of view of the Splintered Fang, yep. kind of getting picked off in the dark. Uh, it's very, you know, they could have pushed, this could have been a part where they pushed the horror, but it's very just kind of matter of fact, you know. Um, and then they get to this place with, it's cleared out, day, you know, day is broken a little bit more, but it's still foggy. She tells somebody to climb a tree uh, to get a better vantage point. Um, and at this point, like she, he says it's fine. The tree's like covered in thorns. It's a very not a great place. He goes to start climbing it, and then all of a sudden, thunk, I think he gets nailed with a knife and uh, falls down from the tree. And she turns around, and all of her she can't see any of her splintered fang. Mm-hmm. And uh, a Corvus Cabal comes out of the darkness Locke, and rushes yeah. her. Yeah. Well, we don't know who it is at this point. So, like, just getting picked off. And then we sw- switch back to Locke's point of view five minutes earlier. Yeah. And they're fighting Splintered Fang. And, uh, you know, he's got people taking people, but they're not, they're kind of like doing this screech, this call, this, um, kind of shorthand. We can't take this. We're outnumbered. He's getting that back from his flock. And he's like, we, we, we fly together. We die together. Kind of thing. (laughs) Fly or die. Um, Quack. quack, 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 quack. Um, and then, uh, we get we basically he gets to the point where it's just him and her, Ophidia and Locke. Um and so we find out at this point that the story's been about both. Like it's it started off like you think that it's just a Corvus Cabal story, but it's very much a splintered fang story at the same time. And I literally as I was going back and forth, I'm like, Okay, I don't know who's gonna win at this. Um and we get so we get this final showdown. I'm not gonna tell you who wins. Somebody else do it.
3: Paul tell me who wins. I think Locke wins.
2: Well, does anyone win, though? Uh, no. (laughs) Basically, uh, there was this really cool moment where the fog starts to lift, and Ophidia looks up, and every member of her warband is impaled on one of the thorns. Right? Like, it was this, And they
0: did something where when the Corvus Cabal killed them, they'd mount them up on the trees to make it look like like their shadows. Yeah. Like, there was more Corvus Cabal around than there really were. Yep. She's like, I see through that. Yeah.
2: Uh, and they get to the end, and they basically kill each other, and it's a
0: spirit victory again.
2: Pick becomes part of, or Locke becomes part of his own pick. Oh, yep.
0: no. Yep. Uh, she poisons him with, like, a boot knife, because everything they have is poisonous. Uh, and he starts, like, twisting. Like, uh, what's the, <laughs> what's the Harry Potter curse that makes you... Cruciatus? Yeah, where it just makes you, your body just bend and twist or whatever. i exactly sure. Uh, I should... And uh, it's, the, it's the one that's, like, forbidden. Anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> so his body just starts twisting, and, like, his joints are just going the wrong way, et cetera. Every every. She goes over to the tree and starts defacing it. And he's just, like, the gatherer, you know, like, she's talking to the coiling ones. He's, like, gatherer, don't let this happen. And so he gets a, the last bit of his strength, and he rushes her, slams into her. She gets impaled on one of the spikes. And he gets to see her dying, like, her face as she passes. Uh, and that's enough for him. And then the last thing he hears is the beating of wings. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That was Which is sweet. The, the sound of the gatherer coming to take him.
3: All right, neat. Uh, so that's the Corvus Cabal, Cabal story. Um, My only it?
0: critique was maybe the fury part could have been shorter. Yeah. And just had them harang- harangue him a bit, harass him, take a few people out, and then keep going. Was
3: there as much story if they take that out, though? I feel like it... It was, despite how long we've talked about it, it seemed like a condensed, not a lot was actually, like, yeah. happening. Yeah. Um, I'm
0: okay with it being, I mean, shorter. When, I don't think it added, it would have made it shorter, but I don't think it added more to the story by having it. Yeah. I see. I I agree. I would have
1: liked to gain some extra insight into, like, I thought it was really cool, the idea of, of the pick, and, the, you know, um, there, but, like, it would have been cool if we heard a little bit about where they're from and yeah something like i guess that. that i just I, I wanted there was time taken up by furies and time taken up by splintered fang which kind of bummed me out a little bit because i wanted I, I, and i think that i really like the corvus models i like the idea of them mm-hmm. i wanted more of them yep. here. and i felt like i got i got more than i did from the cypher lords although i got i felt like i got a good chunk there and this was more than that but not as much more than that than, yep. as i would have liked
2: yeah, but, I completely agree.
1: Like you mentioned, just it's a little, it's a little thing they drop, like a check. You're correct. They refer to any, anyone who's not of their war band as uh, the low folk, and like those are little tasty
0: gems that yeah. i really enjoy. They have a thieves' cant that they use to shorthand and talk like a mm-hmm. sign language and some calling and stuff. So they've got a when they talk to not them, like when he's talking to uh, his superior, it's very clear English to us when we're reading it. When they talk to anybody else. It's broken and short and, you know, not, not very articulate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, so it's kind of an interesting how they talk to the people or how they talk to themselves sounds very clear and they're very, they know exactly what each other's saying. saying. Uh, but yeah, so there's tidbits like that you do get, but yeah, I think I would like to see more, but I did, I, yeah, it was, it was a cool ending. I didn't know which way it was going to go. Mm-hmm. Again, I was surprised by it.
3: Paul, what did you think of the story? We'll do, we'll do the review I enjoyed
0: the story. I, like Davey, wanted more of, like,
2: where they came from, why they believe what they believe. We didn't get that at all. Um, and I wanted a little bit more focus on the Corvus Cabal just because they're my favorite. But you definitely got an idea for what, um, what their background was. And there's also a decent amount about, like, how they play on the table, too. So, like, I, I was like, oh, I read this story. Now I know actually what some of the abilities are intended to do. So when I was playing the game, I was like, oh, that actually, yep, that's what the point of this warband is. That was pretty cool. Right um, This
3: is another one that wasn't necessarily towards the top, and I, I like the Corvus Cabal. is one of my favorite warbands, so I was a little bit bummed out. I, it, we learned a lot of, like, details, but I guess maybe the story, to my mind, was a, a, a little lacking. Yeah. Um,
0: I don't have much else to say. It was like, it was like a fun action movie.
3: Yeah, okay, yeah. sure, sure.
0: Like, uh, you know, a buddy cop movie or something like that. Or, we're you know, like, where you're just like, okay, yeah, we're, we know what we're – now that we've read it, we know what we're in for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It wasn't as much of the intrigue that they kind of alluded to
2: early on. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, so, and it wasn't an introduction to the Corvus Cabal Warband, that didn't feel like. It was more of a story that would set in a, a normal anthology. So. Sure, sure, sure.
3: Um, and that's not to say it was ri- – written poorly i think nope. it was written just fine yep. it was just maybe it, uh i was expecting more out of it uh cool so that's proving ground uh we got another one it's called uh eight-tailed naga by david geimer You like david friend of the show yeah <laughs> um, see that's the thing Is i can say anyone's friend of the show
0: yeah and one, they're under our thrall.
3: One-way one way friendship. All right, cool. So what, what are we dealing with? Now we're, we're finally talking about... The uh, actual Splintered <laughs> Fang. Yeah, the, the so Splintered, Splintered fang. fang
0: have been the second string in two stories now. Yeah,
3: exactly. Now it's time for them to take charge. And by that, I mean we are introduced into this story by someone who is not, not of the Splintered, the Splintered <laughs> Fang. And, uh, um, so, uh, David, who are we introduced to?
1: Your main character here that you start with is Merrick, and he's down in a pit. Down in a pit of snakes. Aren't we all there? It right? had to be snakes. And uh it it's clear that he's whatever whatever his situation is, he's he's lost some kind of fight with the with the uh, splintered fang. And uh <clears throat>
3: so still the bad guys.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, we talk about good guys and bad guys yeah. here on this podcast. I've heard people say that. I it's just bad guys here. <laughs> Yeah. Uh Billy
0: Eilish agrees. <laughs>
1: So the, uh, but he he's he's getting bitten and uh, he gets picked by this particularly big snake. And the last thing he sees, is he's getting bitten by that. We get some uh, tidbits that he had a wife. Who is, he's not sure where his wife's at. Sure.
3: Well, in the first couple of pages of this book, he still has a wife.
1: Sure. Yeah.
3: In the pet, yep. um,
1: which is something that I thought was cool right off the bat because it was just like we in that throwaway line about families in hovels and hovels back in the um, Cipher Lord story. Uh, here it was like, oh yeah. I mean, you you still get married when you're the and bloodline spoils.
3: Furthermore, sh- she's the like the she's the more devout, yeah, 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 yeah,
1: devout chaos worshiper. She's she's the more you know, yeah, in, <laughs> all in on. Uh, so that was cool, but uh, but it turns out he survives this encounter, and it, it it's some kind of like uh test test of your metal is to be in here. If you survive the bit, if you're chosen by. A particular Nagendra. state, uh, or Manaloa. Yeah, Loa is like some sort of avatar or something of of Nagendra, uh, or ba- basically, it's it's saying like you're worthy of being part of the war band. So he wakes up; uh, he's weak because he's beaten up, and he's being uh, nursed to health by uh, by a member of this war band. And this is uh, this is a little interaction that I particularly enjoyed. This uh, young member of the Splintered Fang uh is talking he calls him Ma, maas maasi or maasi um at, he apparently uh Merrick has gotten a splinter pang name like he's basically been kind of reborn into this but this young man is uh trying to nurse him back in health. mouth he says you know here's food you, you eat it you put it in your mouth you <laughs> eat it like this and he's like yeah i know what food is and he's like oh well perhaps you do not eat strange peoples i have encountered on the coiling path strange things i have seen those who drink only the blood of their infants or who bask in the light, lights of the eight star and grow fat on it like blood fruits. Those who do not eat at all, perhaps you drink fire from air or take vigor from your God by smearing the hearts of your foes into your skin. And I thought it was cool. It, it, it was like, man, this is an alien world where this guy reasonably thinks, like, yeah, maybe you don't eat. Like, maybe, maybe you need to be told, like, here's, here's a way you could get some sustenance from this food. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought even, even this, I don't, and you wonder how much of it is. Again, like how much of it is this is somebody who's not very educated and so is misinterpreting things that he's saying and how much is yeah. things that he actually or is saying. To
0: your point earlier, he's like, or maybe you cut the heads off the skulls and drink endless blood from them. <laughs> like it's just something that I've might heard of somewhere. That. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I read it in a story.
1: Uh, and, and there's more uh, good in right. You know, he, he gives him a, something to eat or drink. And Merrick is like, how do I know it's not poisoned? And the guy's like, ah. you know, <laughs> come on. And then he eats it. And he's like, "Yeah, it was poison." <laughs> like, oh man! I was like, no, it's fine. You already survived getting chomped by Manaloa so like, you're you're good to go here. This is if that didn't take you out, this won't. So um, it's a minor poison. Yeah. Um, they they make mention that they're from Nvidia. Um, so, uh, Guyran, mm. it's a city in Guyran that uh, they're coming from. And uh, they there's a Papa Yaga, which is which is cool. He gets introduced to him. That's sort of the elder of this tribe. This guy, I really enjoyed a, the description.
3: A serpent caller, right? Is that what that level is? I was getting that. Yeah. I was getting that yep. vibe, right?
1: Yeah. Um. So he's got some sort of sorcerers. This guy is like old and withered and like looks like his teeth are falling out, but he's also like weirdly boneless. Like he's got these snake like hair. Like he, you know, is able to flex and writhe and, and stuff like a, a snake. And so he's he's pretty fun anytime he's getting some quote unquote screen time. Don't so, see him. Yeah so uh, <laughs> Yoga fire. uh but there's there's this uh there's this tension uh he's like you came and killed my farmstead and their farmstead it mentions a few times like we were harvesting like blood and you know meat and that uh, it was again talking about paul uh this is the closest you're going to get to farmers this is the closest you get to you know farmers and the blood when spoiled which apparently do exist and it's just weird to think about how you go about being that or doing that but he, he says you, you took us by poison that's lame you know that's not that's not like what the chaos gods are looking for they they, they want you to fight in an open battle and I'm like no we, we disagree sure. like, we, we follow the coiling path we do things our way um
3: were, that, were these folks like corn devotees or did i not to keep harping on this concept but like i feel like i walked away with that impression as well that like especially with the wife and like well, i, I felt like, like
0: the corvus in the last story looked down on the poisoning like Use your skill of cunning, you know, the, what you were given as opposed to something like poison.
1: Yeah. I, I, I think of them and this is just, you know, there's nothing particularly here to say this. They could have been full on Mm corn, like is, is our main, main guy. Uh, But I got the idea of like considering it like a Greek pantheon, like, okay, you know, if sickness comes pray to grandfather Nurgle, Um, if, if, uh, if it's fighting time give corn the heads up and gotcha. all that sort of thing. So well, I mean, g- cool Give idea. him a
3: lot of heads up, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> yeah, all
2: yeah. that. Yeah.
3: That's uh, staying in.
1: <laughs> um, they give him his wife's knife, uh, talks about some this armory, you know, so he's, he's, he's right on this edge of like, do I want to rebel? When will I rebel? When am I going to do this? But like, uh, being brought along with this war band, um, sort of as a, as a conversion.
2: The so, cactus rind armor plate. kind yeah. of <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, it
1: it's something that puts you in. It was, this, it was this specific detail that rooted you in in what this was. It ta- he talks about his farm. Like uh, there were five families under my roof, said Merrick, sharing the skulls we took and the blood we harvested. But I saw only Jurissa with me in the pit. What happened to everyone else? They all went into the pit.
4: <laughs> yeah, they're there too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: So uh, he he resents like it. It starts off. He really resents these these um, tribesmen. But you get or these uh, splintered Fang. But uh because he's because he's uh on the outside looking in as he gets to be part of this warband you kind of learn from it so you get some cool background on how the warband interacts and um, what they look like and they have this sort of cold-blooded like you know like indolent they're they're kind of lazing around a lot of time until until it's go time, whatever. So,
3: well, they're always and they're hanging out with snakes constantly. Like it, it's like they're they're in a tent and the floor is just a carpet of snakes. And so, like this pit
2: is nearly interaction with actual like if there literal was a snakes. Plane,
0: mm-hmm. There'd be snakes on it. Oh, uh,
2: well, maybe. I mean, the bloodwood spoil is a plane. Mm-hmm. There's snakes mm-hmm. on this plane. Planes if exist. Probably planes. On um, the blood also, soils. some
3: of the some of the warband members like have like snake eyes, right? Like they. Yep. I, I think it even says like they don't have lids or something like that. Which again, are coming back. Colorless eyes. Yeah.
0: yeah. I think the way you're describing this and you, this main character Merrick like we talked you mentioned earlier like everybody's bad i do think though it seems like they do a great job of coloring that like there's shades of bad and if you're in a world where everything around you is bad like there's some the floor of what what's or the ceiling of good raises sure right uh or the or the floor of bad raises to where like if you're just a a a guy with a family and you're taking care of a family and you murder people who would probably murder you, but it's just a regular thing. Oh, I got to go out and like kill the ravagers again. You know, like you, that starts being less bad. You're like, ah, okay. It's like gophers right out on the prairie. Uh, it's, you don't want to anyway, but I think in that you're solid, they do again, a good job of painting that like it's relative. Mm -hmm. Bad is a relative thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's a farmer. He farms blood, and he kills people a lot. But he's still a farmer. Like he's yeah. just. He's
0: but again, just... yeah, and his his life is one hundred square mi- square miles, and did not choose to be born there or live there. Sure, he's just surviving. Mm-hmm. But by being, yep. by him being coming in from the outside, it gives it gives
1: yep. uh, the author an excuse to kind of dis- to introduce you to some of these core concepts. So uh, we find out that uh, the Splintered Fang they are. They're guided by the writhing ones, and the writhing ones are descendants of Nagendra, who is an ancient god beast, uh, quote unquote, slain by another of its kind. Uh, and they're trying to herald the return uh, of this of this Nagendra, uh, and so that's kind of the overall. They're they're working on a path to make that happen, um, and that you get the sense that wherever you are in the Splintered Fang, that's something you're trying to bring about.
4: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: Uh so then it cuts right, like so then he's been in it for a hot second, and they end up in like a desert scene or something like that, and he's walking around with his pal um the the one who had sort of initially nursed him back to health, and they wanna work with him because they think he knows the lay of the land or something because they're they're after oh wait, no, that's what it is, actually he was having visions because of the poison that they gave him and sort of his uh, initiation right, and so because of those visions, he had called out and the rest of the splintered Fang realize that like he has some knowledge or he may has this connection to the eight tailed Naga. And that's how they want to use him. is they think that, um, because of those visions that he'll be able to lead them to their quarry. I think it's around this conversation that they're out in the desert that, um, they're like poking around in the sand or something. And it turns out like under the sand is a layer of like brass, which also makes me think that they're somehow beholden the corn because they're in a brass area. Um, But as they're poking in the sand, uh, someone spots like a footprint. They're like, what's that? And it's like, I don't know, it's a divot in the sand, man. Like It's it's no big deal. It turns out there's no such thing as just divots in the sand. um, (laughs) And it's actually a untamed beast warband lying in wait, uh, I think buried themselves on, on, under the desert sands and they erupt out. And then there's this big battle because of course there has to be a battle. This is a black library book. Um, and so that the two forces fight and the splintered Fang overcome the untamed beasts with their uh, wily poisons. Untrue. <laughs> uh, but I mean, uh,
1: Baba Yaga takes down cause they, they have a number of rock tusks. Oh right? yeah, 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 yeah. Baba Yaga takes one down. Like this old dude is like, <laughs> like juking out of the way writhing out of the way like this is this is where he kind of comes into it mm-hmm. I, I i enjoyed this battle a lot actually <laughs> like and our yeah. our hero wasn't like oh i'm just like kicking butt and taking names i mean our hero our our point of view i should say mm-hmm. like at one point he's frozen if you're like whoa i'm gonna get ate by this rock tusk uh, and baba yaga like stabs it poisons it, his leg stops working and so it's flopping around and it was uh, it was pretty fun. Even yeah. just the idea, of them popping up from the sand, was yeah, pretty yeah. cool.
3: Well, it's kind of like a um, a chaotic like battle because like he's just running around trying to survive. Like not yeah. that he's useless, but I mean he ends up being the equivalent of um, and like at one point he like stares down the other like leader or something. And he he's able to like dodge out of the way and escape him, um, but as the fight comes to its conclusion, uh, it turns out like the only one left alive from the untamed beast side is that leader um what is it, the the heart eater or yep. whatever it is um apparently like he knows this group of splintered fangs like they've interacted before and he's like well he's like i mean you can't blame me for attacking you you killed like four of my dudes the other day and, and the splintered fang is like yeah but only because you killed three of our guys the day before so it was like kind of that like irreverent like back and forth um and all right they,
0: see you next tuesday frank yeah exactly <laughs> and so it, it comes we'll out next
3: time what they're what they're after um and they get it out of the untamed beast leader guy saying, like, all right, well, we're after this. Well, I, I forget how the conversation goes, but they're able to suss out the fact that, like, he has some idea of where this eight-tailed naga mm-hmm. um, is. He's like, I think maybe he calls it something different, but he's like, yeah, uh, uh, I, I could lead you to it. After, after some, co- some coercion, he doesn't yeah. volunteer, but, like, they're like, you take us there. He's like, all right, fine. Um, and so they head off, like, deeper into the desert to try and, you know, find this
2: beast- there is also this uh personal struggle with Merrick, though, when they're fighting the battle where he's using his knife his wife's knife, right? And and he's like cutting and cetera, and people are like, Oh, let's put some poison on it. He's like, No, we're not putting poison. This is my wife's you know, I'm I'm not gonna dishonor her memory with this Right, and then it eventually gets knocked out of his arm and he just picks up a sword and he cuts someone and then he like waits to like start fighting again and they immediately just, like, die from the poison. Horrendously. And they're like, okay, now you're one of us. Because you Mm -hmm. use the poison.
3: Right. My wife would be so mad if I put poison on her knives. I bet (laughs) she would. So they travel. I don't think much happens until they actually, like... So he leads them to this, like, pit in the desert. Like, it's this, like, you you climb up a a hillside and then it leads down into a a lower space in the desert. And so they're the classic, like... They send scouts out, but basically they're just overlooking you guys can't see what I'm doing. But um they're, they're hands on <laughs> there. But
2: i enjoying army it. Army Crawl.
3: Yeah, Army Crawl up the side of the hill, chins on their on their hands as they're peeking over at this little like, I don't know, ruin or like outpost thing. And it's this area overrun by uh I was gonna say goblins, but grots. Um mm-hmm. TMTMTM. Uh, Grotlins. Um, and so Grotlands. they're they're uh, what are they doing there? So basically, what they're they're like mining the brass I was talking about before, like from underneath the sand. So they've got big like makeshift drills and all sorts of like machinery
1: and stuff.
2: They're farming the brass. They're or farming mining? the brass. I guess mining. Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> you know,
0: it's expensive. Think of all the brass farmers. tax.
3: Yeah, <laughs> you need a lot of them, and they get down home constantly. Um, and uh, and they also see that there's this beast. They can't really make it out, which I don't understand why, but for whatever reason in this story, uh, it's it's like in this giant cage and, and grots are like climbing all over and they're poking and prodding and every once in a while, like it, it grabs one or something, um, but they see it and like, that's what they sort of focus on. They're like, all right, well, we got to get to that uh, beast. Um, and so they Good. hang out for a while. Do they do it? Well, they totally do it. And then they basically just agree to do, like, a headlong charge, like, yeah. just over the, over the hill. Like,
2: there it is. And they're like, there it is. It's their guys. We're going to go get it.
3: Man, also, these guys fall for stuff all the time. <laughs> like, oh, you got this thing I want? All right, well, I'm just going to walk up to it and grab mm-hmm. it. Um, and so, they they, head, they charge into the grats. And so, the grats put up, like, a nominal defense. But, like, you know, a, a half of them are running away they're or grots. trying to...
0: The so go they're, they're Grats. Yeah,
3: they're Grats. I mean, grots remember
2: gonna, the GratoGo? Grats
3: gonna do what Grats gonna do. Um, and so half of them are hiding, but they're you know shooting arrows and stuff like that, and they're they're rushing in. Um, they being the the splintered fang. And so as they get closer, they realize that what's in this giant cage is not an eight-tailed naga. What? Huh? Uh, but rather it is one It is an eight-footed arachnarch.
2: Yeah, that's right. Oh,
0: and gross. in the carnage that Twist. ensues,
3: yeah, uh, the Arachnarok like breaks out of its cage. Um, and just starts lighting dudes up. Um, it's stabbing people constantly with its big old pointy <laughs> pincher feet. Um, it's attacking grunts. It's attacking uh, the splintered fang left and right. And so it's this is basically towards the end of the story. So it's this like final like stand against this giant beast and folks that are trying to take it down. While all the while they're you know fighting the grots that are running around um haphazardly. I love. Why that- am I talking about this, Paul? You
2: talk about it. I love that. Like there's this moment of like like one of the splintered fang turns to the heart red. And it's like. Dude, this isn't an eight-tailed naga. And the heartrunner's like, yeah, you killed my entire warband. Of course it's not the eight-tailed naga. Yeah, if you did. Look, you knew this was the... Yeah, yeah, you're right. You killed everybody. Yeah. I'm going to try and kill you. Right? So, like, the spider's going around, like, everybody is just getting completely taken care of, including Baba Yaga. Hey, everybody, and just, just like- so you know, Paul's got the biggest smile on his yeah. face right now. <laughs> it's super awesome. Um, so like everybody's Spider-y just getting grin. completely killed. The grots are getting killed. The untamed beasts are getting killed. The splinter fang are getting killed. And, uh, and then you have the main character and he's like, Oh crap, I got bit. Like, this is poison. I'm getting poisoned. This is terrible, right? And then he's like, Wait, I've already been poisoned. I can deal with this. And then he takes his knife and he cuts off part of the arachnorok's foot. Or, you know,
1: like un- unimpale himself, which yeah. is really good.
2: got. To unimpale himself, and then shoves it on the end of his hand, (laughs) and then it, like, solidifies into this, like...
3: Always goes back to unmade. Yeah. Just adding weird appendages and
2: stuff. And then... (laughs) And then it forms as part of his arm, and he's like, no, I get it now. Like, I'm fully invested. This is what it means now. So now... Have to make Splinter Fang warband out of Iraq Rock bits.
3: Yeah.
1: Also, his realization is like, ah, we don't have to stay here and try and kill this spider. Let's, let's Diddy Mal. Let's get out of here. Like, yeah.
3: Well, and doesn't, because uh, still they're under the impression that they're after this eight tailed nugget. Doesn't at one point he call himself the eight tailed Did I make that up? Like, uh, okay, uh, I'll cut it if not. But, um, I'm going to go with yes. I thought like it was It'll like, he be- was like, oh, we were after me all along, sort of thing. Um, the real treasure was the me we found along <laughs> yeah. the way. Um, maybe, maybe I'm misassuming, but basically, there's no one left alive. Like he he, he gets his cool like new, uh, arachnarok weapon. And he's like, all right, cool. Let's let's. Bounce off. But not, not even we like no one's really left. It's, I'm going it's going literally to just like yeah. this
2: like monologue. He's like, dude, I'm awesome. Yeah, yeah I know. I'm he's totally talking. Awesome. He's talking
3: to his awesome hand. Now. Yeah, uh, and that's about it, Davey. Not to spoil too much. I know you seem to really like this story. What what, what spoke to you about it?
1: Uh, so I liked, you know, they're just the little bits they drop. Like Paul talked about, you know, no, no poison on my wife's knife. Um, they are walking and they haven't fought in a while. And so he, he's cutting his hand and dripping blood into the sand. And and uh, it, the young guy with him is like, what are you doing? Is oh, you know, you got to placate the blood guy. We haven't, we haven't. Killed anything in in days like if i don't do this we're we got to give him something you know it was just the it it had enough room and the story was constructed in a way that lets you learn in sort of a natural and evolving way about not only the warband but also about the blood wind spoils Mm -hmm. and um i i really enjoyed learning those bits and pieces and i thought the the fights were well constructed and not they didn't uh they didn't overlast their um outlast their welcome so um uh, I, this is the war band I was maybe least interested to learn about and ended up being one of the ones I enjoyed the most. Hmm.
3: The beauty of low expectations. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, Paul, what do you think? Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, it also, I think, gave us a narrative reason why the Splintered Fang were in so many of the stories, because this is the one war band that doesn't have to be from their homeland. Because they convert as they're going along, they throw people in the snake pits. This is not a like one-time thing, but that's why there's an elf. That's why you know there are different races in their warband, and it's possible that they are the most you know perfidious or most populous of the warbands in the Blood One Spoil, since they're converting everybody that they find into them or killing them, right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean those two options you either convert them
0: or we kill you exactly um, isn't that life in general? Sure. Yeah. Uh,
2: I also really like the just like Far East or like you know vibe that was written into the background where we had like Moadish, which seemed very much like a harem guard or something like that trope and and then we had like the dalson type character of Baba Yaga where he's doing all this kind of there was a lot of other cultures that were fit into the fantasy universe here. And it was a very diverse war band. It wasn't like the untamed beasts where it's like, we're all nomads and we all wear skulls and we all do this. Right. The, the thing about the, the serpents is that they all have the same armor, but the actual figures themselves are males. They're elves. They're, they're different. Mm. Right.
3: That's cool. Um,
2: it's weird. I never,
3: in this story and any of the other stories with the splinter fang, I never really saw them play up the gladiatorial aspect of it, right? Which, nope. like, it was sort of surprising to me, because I feel like, at least visually, that is a, a large component of it. Like, I, they were throwing nets at some point, which, you know, is
0: some component. What did a that, net ever do
3: uh, to deserve getting thrown? Well, sometimes it's, there's nothing but nets. Um, so, uh, that was... Uh, in, in, Tristan, inter- that one was for you. <laughs> right. Uh I'm I'm free to do the basketball podcast, Michael Jordan. Um, so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that was just one one thought that I had. Um, I did like this story. I, I, it's almost as if I liked the way it was written and like kind of those little details more than I cared for the story specifically itself. Though I guess the spider at the end being was a fun little twist. I didn't see that coming either. Um, so I know I, I, I did like it. I think it ranked pretty high in, on the list of these stories that um, I enjoyed. Uh, it was nice to have that sort of fish out of water story. Like that's different than all the other uh, other ones i I think that's obviously it goes without saying but so that helped um me identify with this character because you can sort of slot yourself in there um without getting bit by a snake which uh
0: is nice seems like this one did the best job of kind of taking it down to the commoner and giving you a reason to like again see the gray and empathize with kind of the journey to watch, you know the the start of some movies like I bet you're wondering how I got here, you know uh, Thor Trash, Ragnarok, yeah. um, but this is you know a lot of this story is like no explanation of how I got from normal person farmer to you know uh, dripping blood in the sand or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I think that's real interesting. Yeah, agreed. Um,
3: so it's a cool story. All right, let's do the last one. Cool story, bro, guys. Let's talk about the Iron Promise by Josh Reynolds. My personal best friend and friend of the show. (laughs) Uh, This Iron Promise is a story about the Iron Golems, uh, hailing from Chamon. Shamon. And so, what do we got here? So, uh, apparently, we we focus in on a a warband of Iron Golems, but they are like representatives of a much larger organization, um, Empire. Empire. Yeah, Yeah. like they they hailed from you know uh, a higher uh, hierarchy, um, and they've been sent on a mission. Uh, to go wrangle, uh, a Duwarden, like, weapons, or no, not even weaponsmith, but he just provides, like, raw material, I guess, for the weapons. Um, he's sort of hunkered down in this volcano lair, um, and so he, he normally has to provide a certain, like, offering of, um, materials, uh, for weapons, uh, but he recently has stopped paying. Like, I feel like that's a classic classic story, right? Like, we've, we've, we've seen stuff like this before. And so these iron golems are all ready to uh, rough some dudes up um, in order to get what they want, or at the very least find out, like, why he, he stopped sending the payment because, um, you know, it's, a, it's obviously th- these materials are something they need to do their weapon smithing, which is what iron golems are all about. Um, so they uh, approach... Uh, this, you know, this volcano lair. I feel like they have to fight something before they even get there, and I can't remember what it is. It's not... Were they also fighting Furies at that point? Right? Weren't they smashing Furies out of yeah, this guy? it opens on them fighting yeah. Furies. And yep. then the
2: crystals, too, were coming and...
3: That's a little bit Plus later, man. Yeah, Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, they have to navigate sort of the wilds, um, but they, they, they prove to do so very um, uh, deftly, I guess, because um, they they are good at what they do, and what they do is killing folks. Um so they smash through furies, they uh, get closer and closer. I think the crystals happen soon thereafter, right, as they're navigating the canyons and things. So there's this crystals that Paul was talking about before, that if, like, you were to get uh, if you were to get any of the, if they were to touch you or even if you were to shatter them and those pieces were to touch you, they'd steal your uh, steal your soul. As you look at them, you can see, like, the faces of the souls, the souls that have been stolen, and in fact, every soul like it's absorbed, it creates a new facet on this crystal that's sort of floating. Um. So, but they're able to like fight them from afar, which is odd because Iron Golems don't really have much in the way of range, right? Besides Bolas. like well, the Bolus. Okay. Yeah. Um. So everybody's got a Bolus. And so, uh, they again they are approaching this volcano. So they they end up walking down like basically the front door. Because what do they have to be afraid of? Like they're on yeah. a uh, here on official business. Mm-hmm.
1: Josh Reynolds takes the opportunity on the way to give you a little bit of insight. Uh, a couple times, like they have some philosophizing around the fire, which was kind of cool like, sure and then
3: someone funny. yells at him to stop philosophizing because like that's not what we're here for sort of thing
2: <laughs> we talked it talks about the relationship between the different characters too like it's it is this is the most civilized of all the civilizations, like deciphered, like oh, this seems like really civilized. Then me, they're like, no, G-K, this is <laughs> this is not
1: at all weird. civilized. So.
2: And this is like, oh, this, you know, that's my brother, and like this is our people, and we're doing this thing. And so
1: Voss outlines his ethos: says, be honest, be brave and brutal, and the gods would smile upon you. Be fearful, be a liar or dishonorable, and suffer the fate of all cowards. So,
3: well, oh. it's it, and it's so rare to hear him or like anybody like speak about the importance of like honesty like the fact that he even like crosses his mind is like surprising to me that like i don't know how often does it come up that like honesty does does or doesn't matter in your life but apparently it's enough to like slot into his ethos um and of course it also contributes to the story that we're we're talking about because um they roll up on the volcano they have to fight some weird skeletons that like come to life as they're walking which i don't really know how was that explained they had runes pounded into them or something yeah uh, so they, uh, so basically, they're navigating all these s- subsequent, like, creatures to eventually make their way into the volcano. No, oh, I-, I should tell you what, they have to wait outside for a little bit. They're mm-hmm. waiting outside the front door and they're like, uh, they, I don't know, maybe they knock or they call or something. And, uh, like one of the followers is like, what do we do? Like, and he's like, all right, well, no, he knows we're here. Uh, he'll let us in eventually. Which is what he does, like, the, the Dwarden, the, do, the doors, like, slowly slide open and they, they march right up into the Volcano Lair um, fortress, so on and so forth. Uh, they navigate through a, a series of rooms and eventually they roll up on the, the Dwarden there, uh, who's flanked by two giant... Um, Ogres. Yeah, obre, yeah, ogre breachers, um, you know, with their uh, weapons sort of grafted to their hands. And he's standing with two hammers up over his head, yeah. <laughs> and the chain chain beard thing. Bolo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so they're like, "Hey, why haven't you sent us the stuff?" And he's like, "Hey, uh, I, I would if I could, but I can't um, because in our process of digging deep into this volcano, or you know, we're always you know digging deeper and deeper th- through our mind, um, we unlocked uh, a, a treasure, but at the same time, we also." we found a monster and that monster has proceeded to kill all my slaves and all my workers. And, uh, sorry, man, like without workers and, and slaves, like I can't, you know, provide the materials, uh, the, the base metals that, that you need. Uh, but I'll tell you what, if you guys are willing to go down and rid me of this monster, uh, we, the, the deal can still stand. Like we can, I can, I can get operations back up and running. Um, so, uh, bring me this monster's head and, uh, I'll be hunky dory. Uh, this seems a little too see, good. That's a quote. Hunky yeah, door. hunky dory. That's exactly what he said. He's a weird, weird warden. Um And so they agree to it. And, and I mean, nobody feels happy about this decision, but like uh, boss is all right. yeah, like he, he knows that like something's up. and He's like, all right, well, this is what we've been sent here to do. And uh, regardless if he's, if he's playing a straight or not, like we still have to deal with this issue that he has, you know, sort of presented in front of us. So they proceed to navigate down uh, into the depths of, the mine and so they're going level by level and they see all sorts of like evidence of battles and stuff but like it's like suspicious battles it's not necessarily just like a monster rampaging the different through the different layers um there's There's, like freed cleanly
2: cut chains yeah something sharp and it looks like somebody tried to free something right it wasn't like everybody's killing something it's like oh these people look like they were freed Mm-hmm. And then they died. And, th-
3: and they were fighting, like, dead guards and stuff, too. So, like, there's oh. something, obviously, like, we there wouldn't be a story if there was something more uh, than meets the eye here. It's the twist. Yep. So
1: t- piles of them, like, almost getting free and then clearly have been just, like, burned into a nasty mess, mm-hmm. like Mithraxes, that Chaos Dwarf has been melting them as they got close to escaping. Yeah. So. Uh,
3: pretty gnarly stuff. Um, that- And this sort of sets the Iron Golems a little uh, uh, un- uneasy. Yeah. Um, but as they make their way down to you know whatever the final layer is, um, they find a box which is crackling with like Azurian energy. Whether they know it or whether we know it, I don't. I don't know for sure. Um, but that's not the only thing they find. Uh, they are like you know immediately beset by a quick moving uh, metal clad warrior. What? It's a Stormcast Eternal. Even in, in a war cry anthology, we can't get away without having <laughs> at least one Stormcast uh, appear in these stories. Um, and it's like a, I don't know, Vanguard or Hunter or something similar. Because he's moving real quick and he's got blades and a, and a bolter pistol. Not a bolter, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and so uh, there's a, a real quick clash and they have a, like a standoff. Um, and basically the uh, Iron Golems like tell him, hey, like, look, stand down um, and we'll, you know... They say something, but what they really mean is we'll kill you quickly. Surrender
1: um, and you'll be treated honorably, he said. It wasn't a lie. Death by the hand of a domino of the Iron Legion was an honorable death as any. Resist and we'll take your head.
3: Yep, exactly. Um, and then the Stormcast returns with like, oh, oh wait, no, oh. I, w- I was going to tell you the same the same thing. <laughs>
0: um, uh, <we're, laughs> this isn't a balanced match for you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um,
3: and of course, they don't come to any sort of agreement. And but
0: this is
1: a, this is a cool, different take on a on a stormcast a little bit, just because it's from the perspective of these guys who not necessarily super familiar with. It, they're like, oh, what is this monster? It smells weird. It's mm-hmm. moving way faster than it should for its size. Like, this is like a monster movie where the monster
0: is the good guy, yeah, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, oh,
3: I'm not. Gonna they have
0: that. to be a little bit like cool armor, bro. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah, how did you even do? Ow. Oh, it stings. Um <laughs> you shocked me. Um so they uh proceed to fight and like all the while the Stormcast is like no, I just want to leave. Like let me go. Like like the whole point was that he was trapped down there and he couldn't get out. Um so there's a big battle. He's cleaving through iron golems left and right. Um but eventually they wear him down. Um and sort of like it's a I don't know they they fight back up through the levels or something cuz I think they get all the way to the gate basically. Um uh but eventually he is um he being the the Stormcast is beaten by the Iron Golems through like, you know, their their teamwork and they I mean they're they're pretty handy with uh, their weapons as well. And
1: you're calling it he but they call it it throughout oh, oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's this weird monster thing, yeah, right? Sure. That's pretty fun.
3: It is fun. Um uh but they do they do kill him. It or whatever. Uh, but we all know what happens. Even in the eight points, what happens to a stormcast when he dies? He goes rocking it into space uh, as a lightning bolt. Um, yeah. Uh, guess how many heads he leaves? <laughs> Zero heads. Um, so eventually, a like church. after this, they're able to you know lick their wounds and head back up to the Duarden and say, "Hey, look, we we cleared your monster out. Like, first of all, you got a weird magic box down there. Like, what's the deal with that?" And like. We, let's let's get this agreement back up like start start mining and give us your, you know the materials and of course the, the shifty dwarf is like ah well no uh, the agreement was you'd bring me a head and i would uh you know uh, start start delivering the offerings that uh, were needed uh no head deals off um i'm i'm free to go uh you can only imagine how well that went over with our boys the iron golems and they say oh well okay uh, you want to do this the hard way, let's do it the hard way. And they, you know, they proceed to attack. So they have to fight off the, the Ogores. Um, the Dwarden runs, but eventually they catch up to him and they... <laughs> see like he's the, running. Yeah, the Dwarden like, yeah, running. Look at his little legs. Um, they, uh, you know, proceed to they catch him and they lift him up and huck him into a, a lava pit or something. Um, and that's the end of this treacherous little dwarf. And so, that's all in a day's work for our iron golden friends. And they sort of dust their hands off and, alright, let's go ahead back and report what has happened they That's should be it.
0: the new josh reynolds uh like sequel just that fab five or something like sure.
3: that i i feel like i told it very succinctly but it's almost like a succinct story mm-hmm. a lot of the the uh the meat was just sort of the interactions like interpersonally between the War Band. Mm-hmm. i think this is one of the better stories in this anthology of of having that interpersonal connections mm-hmm. uh, i mean there are other good examples but I think this is maybe one of the best which I think we talk about like that's one of Reynolds like, sort of hallmarks right is his, is his people his characters and sort of how they interact with each other Yeah. Um, so the story was pretty straightforward with like a, a classic twist at the end but um, I think it, it really shined with sort of those in between moments um, mm-hmm. that's me jumping ahead I guess to my little review but um, did anything else in the story stand out for um. things that
2: you guys liked It was kind of cool to see a warband fighting between themselves, right? Because the warband out of the box is the Dominar, is the, like, you know, every character plus the Ogre Breachers and the Chaos Warden. But in this story, those figures are fighting against
0: each other.
3: And it kind of explains how those could exist in the warband. Like, why would they be here? What purpose would they
0: serve? Um, So that that is pretty neat. Um, It does make sense to me that the industrious like, uh, warband that needs to produce things would require the members to get along and work together and be a well-oiled machine uh, on top of like, and that like building a weapon, like building swords or whatever, like there's a right way to do it. There's an honesty to it. Uh, And so I I like that, that the qualities of the warband match kind of the requirements it takes to be an industrious group.
3: Yeah. And if you would have asked me, who I thought, like, may, who, if you were to pick good guys of all the different types of warbands who they'd be, I don't know that I would have predicted the Iron Golems to be that, but, like, at least in these stories they, they came off as the most, like, honorable, which is some aspect of, like, a of chaos in a sense, like, they, they are martial warriors, and there is a certain, like, level of, uh honorability, that's not a word honor, that, like, Just goes it along, along with that respect, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. you know mm-hmm. I agree yeah, uh, so I already talked about what I th- thought about the book or story. What, what did you guys think about it?
1: I think you cover my thoughts pretty well. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, as I already said, I liked it for the different take. Like what would a storm cast look to somebody who hadn't encountered it very much. And it was like, I like the, I like the, uh, like the stormcast as monster in a monster movie. That's pretty clever. <laughs>
2: yeah, I, I agree. It was also fun to just see a normal stormcast that had been in the realms for a long time. Right. Like, we talk about oh this person died this person died right but we don't have many we don't have many stories where it's literally just like one guy is left everybody else has been killed it's just a lone survivor trying to survive right
3: there's only so many like terrible fates that can befall a stormcast given that like
2: you know quote unquote
3: they're immortal there's only so many like awful things that can happen to them and being trapped in the belly of a like a chaos dwarf volcano lair is probably one of them right like you can't <laughs> yeah. get out like it's it's amazing to think that like he could just be locked behind one portcullis and that just ruins him like there, there's nothing i can do about this um and ostensibly like i, I think they they do starve i guess eventually one day um but still like he, he knows that if, if i just died i would go you know rocketing back to his ear but i i can't because i'm i'm locked down here so that is the last story We've covered some ground here. Okay, so um, let's maybe take a look at some standard questions. Uh, we could do our classic, uh, who is your dude, through all of the stories. Let's just go across all of them. We'll make it quick, because I feel like we probably alluded to some of them. I'll just do mine real fast. I think my dude is actually Samili Kalkis uh, from The Method of Madness, which is that Mirror Blade fighter. I think she was super awesome. She's a great, uh, yeah, a pretty compelling backstory. Um you are, You may not be rooting for her boss, but I f- found myself rooting for her throughout the story. Um, plus, there's just an interesting way to sort of explain like how someone gets sort of conscripted into that that army. Um, I, I do like the Cipher Lords. It's one of my favorite war bands in this grouping, and so I I, I think that she's a good representative of, of what it work, what it means to you know be part of that. Next, I'd
1: go with uh, Merrick from Eight Tailed Naga. Mm. Like I thought, he was one of the most. Uh identifiable or easiest characters to identify with. Like you could, um, and it, it made sense. He was kind of written almost as a proxy for the reader. So you could be introduced to this, uh, along with him. Um, but I just you talk about the human connections and stuff. Like he, even, even after his wife's been dead a while, like he's still honoring her memory. And, uh, I like that. Uh, I like that take on what it is to be someone who lives in a place saturated with chaos, still has these human elements.
3: Then.
2: Let's go around the horn, Paul. Uh, I liked Locke. I thought he was a cool character Um, doing all the fighting. Like, the fight scenes were super cool in that one, for sure. Um, But it was also just uh, he wasn't some guy with a crow suit, right? He was a little bit more than that, which was pretty cool.
0: Uh, I really liked Thornwinder uh, because for most of the book, except except for the point where he uh, kills the the chieftain or whatever guy um it's you know man versus wilderness uh and you it's easy to root for hey that's that's pretty good but but he has that huge twist at the end um but it, there's, it's such an underdog story and you're i feel like you don't feel bad rooting for him until the end mm-hmm. and yeah so i dug that
3: and then I was rooting for his little buddy who he killed. Like <laughs> 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 yeah, He was the only, like, actual good
0: character in the whole anthology. <laughs> he was cool. Um, all just right. just pops in with an arrow. Uh,
3: another question. Um, let's maybe just give one example. What's one thing that you learned about the mortal realms that you didn't know before? You can farm blood. Mm, okay. Sure. Check.
1: It was interesting to see what a city in the eight points, like the glimpses we got at Karngrad, um, it's pretty awful to live there, mm-hmm. like... They would, they would just have run-of-the-mill details like um, this, you know, the vizier, this woman, the uh, not butler, but whatever she was, the, the liaison for that the guy who was a was had, like, a coat made of, like, human leather detailed mm-hmm. out with teeth or something, like, human teeth. So it clicked where I was like, oof, just pretty awful details. And that was just, like... Yeah, that's my, that's my shiny, that's my evening cape, you know, whatever, so, um, but to get some sense that somehow it was a functional, functional city, um, despite it being in such an awful place, mm-hmm. it was interesting.
0: Um, for me, I think it was just seeing, yeah, more of the layers of how people live in the mortal realm, specifically in, in the eight points and that in some aspects it may not be too different than how people live in other parts of the realms. Like there's just bad parts of the realms as well. Um, so I think it was the nuance and, and you know, when we saw this war cry get released or, um, launched like just these more layers of chaos than we ever saw before, I think just adds more layers. You can imagine how like in some of their stories, like the cities of Sigmar, like, The people of order live at different levels of of good and evil, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. So I just, I think it was that you come into this expecting it to be, all right, these are all bad, bad, bad. And there's just enough gray in here to make you go, eh, I might like them.
2: Yeah. I appreciate it also because it it gave, in the old world, you had the Norse, which were the, like, basically slaves to darkness, right? They're marauders, but they didn't openly worship corn or zinch, or whatever. They just they prayed to them. And now we have a fully fleshed out like here's a city in each of the realms where this is what happens to normal people when they're in a bad place. And that, that, that's super cool.
3: And almost to that end, it it I the fact that we have these sort of six very disparate warbands, and those the the two more that are coming out. Yeah. The fact that like each of these are so so very different almost proves the fact that. There can't just be the six or the eight, but there's countless versions of this. And almost every single other one that we don't know of yet, whether we'll ever learn about it or not, are just as equally as unique or out there or Mm -hmm. wacky. And it just shows that like, the fact that we've spread the scope of what chaos means means that you can go that much farther and Mm -hmm. that there's um, always a new direction to go with chaos.
2: Um, It it, it proves that there are no bounds on uh, what chaos looks like. Um, Well, the other thing is, if you flip that coin, right? They're from the nor- the realm, so there could be a neighboring city that shares almost all of their beliefs, but in o- an order fashion, hmm. right? Like that's quite possible. That we look at it and we say, "Oh, Corvus Cabal, they they act like ravens and they do this because they believe in the Great Gatherer," right? Well, but maybe to them, the Great Gatherer is a bad person, but to the the next city down the road. The Great Gatherer is a good person, or there's another god that's the flip of the Great Gatherer, but they still wear all the feathers and they still gather everything, and they, you know, like it. It just expands what po- what's possible in the mortal realms. Sure, sure.
3: All right, let's move on to uh, some listener questions. So um, we do, did a little different for this episode in that instead of going to Twitter to ask for questions, we just focused. On our Discord channel, which can be found at realms.com slash Discord. So get
2: in there. Yeah. Is that www.themortalrealms.com slash Discord? Oh
3: yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, and so, there we I know we can get a more centralized focus uh, grouping
2: of folks to
3: ask questions, but we got some good ones. So, um, Stepador, am saying that right? Yep, from uh, the Discord channel wanted to know what our favorite fight scene was. Uh, my personally was, anytime the Cipher Lords and the Corvus Cabal fought because yeah. those go toe to toe, and they sort of are equally matched in my mind.
1: There's one where specifically, like the Corvus uh, member, like unfolds from the ceiling <laughs> and descends down. And you're like, oh, it's on. Here we go. It <laughs> was exciting.
3: Wait, uh, you just hear the fight music in the background. Where'd it come from? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, did anybody have any other fight scenes that they loved very much? The
2: Arachnarch fight scene wasn't cool uh, necessarily because of the Arachnarch, but because you have these like super epic. Little fight scenes coming up, and then they're they're fighting something that's actually powerful in the game, and everybody's just like obliterated. Like it wasn't like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna bend around and evade this thing. It's like, no, no, no. It's just too powerful. Everybody dies.
1: Uh, same story. I enjoyed where the uh, splintered, not splintered, where the uh, untamed beast warband exploded up from the, like burst up in the sand. You had like a little warning where like somebody's like, that's a that's a print. Like, uh, are you sure? Like, it's just kind of a small dividend saying. Like, I was a hunter in my false life before I was one of the splintered Fang. That's a print, and so they had this slight warning before I all of a sudden, whoosh! You know, here, yeah, here it comes. Time,
0: so yeah. That was. I enjoyed that fight a lot. You have a good fight, fighter. I think it's Thornwinder versus the Haro. This <laughs> weird, where he just—it's so surreal. Like he rips the thing's face off with his bare hands. I'm like, ah, what is going on? So it's just too. It was too cool.
3: Uh, where do you find a bear to get those hands? Um, ah, but so, uh, uh, Darth Alec, uh, Alex Nygaard, uh, asked, um, are the cults believable as living existing long-term culture?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think there's some I'd want to know some more about, but I think, uh, there's uh, examples of it being pretty well realized, uh, some, some more than another, just because of how their particular stories were structured. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, uh, Splinter Fang, as we already mentioned, that's felt pretty well lived in. I think we got a pretty good sense of uh, the Cipher Lords from there. You could you get an idea of how how they
0: operate. Um, I feel this, like the Corvus Cabal. Feel like it is the has the least tying it together. In any moment, it could just disappear. Yeah, and then maybe reform later. Like like it it like you the unmade. I feel like you could be like generations. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Corvus Cabal feel like it's fleeting. Yep. Um, but I don't know that that means that it couldn't be a culture that kind of sticks around in greater numbers or lesser numbers, that sort of thing. Well, but,
2: I mean, that might be a feature rather yep. than a bug, like I mean. yeah. but I would love to know that that's a feature instead of being like, hey, I guess this is the way it works, right? Like,
0: You don't get to know. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes not
4: so, knowing is so, fun. So,
2: I, like, to me, Iron Golem totally makes sense. Like Everything made sense the way it worked except for Corvus Cabal. I just. And, part of that might just be from the realm of shadow, right? We don't know. We're not given that. So.
3: Um, also I think for me, the unmade just seemed like hard to sustain. Like, I'd, sure I, I got it from their perspective, but like, I don't know. How does that society continue to like work?
0: You have a whole lower level of just acupuncture junkies. You know? Yeah.
3: Well, yeah. And I guess there's oh. that lower level that just straight up don't have their stuff cut off. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's, they're all pyramid schemes. hmm I think that's the truth. Life's a pyramid scheme. Um, uh josh uh from madison here uh fractal what is this? fractal rain there um but from the last episode of dogs of Warcry, he yep. asked us uh which areas described in the book did you find most evocative i'm going to take this for david t- takes it because the city of karngrad is i think the right answer to that question um i think we spent a fair enough time there to like really paint a picture of what it would be like to live there uh aka awful um, and so that's uh, where I enjoyed... Is, just is there the time enough
0: with. where Karni- Karngrad feels like an own, its own character? Or is it... We just get light bits. Uh, we only get part of it. We get, like, part of one district.
3: Mm-hmm. You know. I think it could be. Like, a full-on novel set there yeah. would probably I think
0: an anthology around Carnegrad could be cool where Karngrad's the main character. Yeah.
3: It would also be cool to, like if you got an anthology where there was like a through line through all the different like short stories and they always mm-hmm. had some connecting aspect, which I guess maybe Karngrind would be that. Um, do you guys have any other environments that struck a chord
2: with you? The, the forge from iron golems, like built in the side of a volcano and this huge dun like, you know, I, I felt like I could picture what was going on when he was writing about it. I could too. It was very well described. Yeah. yeah. Um,
0: Thorn No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you
2: <love that>. Um, <laughs>
3: Francis Vanderhuge, uh, what do chaos humans think about other uh, Grand Alliance representatives trampling their home spoil? Um, That's the first question. Uh, Utterly and completely, well, almost utterly and completely unmentioned, with the exception of maybe the the goblins, like the Karats, I suppose, too. But it's really not brought up, which... You know, maybe an Anthology too, um, but, like, that is a whole, like, second half of this, you know, game or this setting is all the other non-Chaos Grand Alliances. Um, they're not nothing. Like, they, they do have some effect there, so uh, I'd be interested to read more. And then the second question is, why are these fish elves in our sacred gladiatorial arena? Um, you know, the age-old question. I find myself asking myself that every day. Do you guys remember what, like, their mission is? Does anybody know what the Deepkin, like, mission is in Warcry? I'm getting a lot of questioning looks.
1: You know, I'll defer to the people who did a podcast on it.
0: Yeah, it, I haven't read that. That uh, some of them aren't as heavy, and for them, it's kind of just another kind of place to go and get souls. To, to you know.
3: sure, I'll tell so, you what. To find the answer to that question, listen to future episodes of Dogs of War, <laughs> where I'm sure it will be referenced.
2: Can I alter the question slightly, though? Like, just to be something like, is this a place that is believable that these that other alliances would live here like would be able to pursue here right based on this anthology these six stories can you see that right like, we had the gloom spike gets ready right and that that felt very natural to me like oh of course the gloom Spite would be here we had a vanguard hunter in the iron golems right like that totally made sense to me that that fit as well right is there yeah. something that doesn't make sense or you know
3: No, I don't think so, but I think that's the beauty of the AOS setting is you can give motivations to anybody for almost anything, so... All right, cool. Let's get to our final, last review. Uh, I mean, I feel like we've done so many reviews, anything we say is going to be redundant, but I'll just say that, like, as a final cap, um, I I love the variety. Um, I love all the different places that we got to go, but we're still sort of centralizedly connected in, like, a, a relatively central location. Um... There were some that I really, some I really liked, some that I thought were ho hum. But just generally, as a full body of work, I think it's it's worth uh, combing through, and maybe just if you want, identify the ones that um, catch your interest or you know relate to the war bands that uh, you play. But all in all, um, they do a really good job in their anthologies to sort of collate short stories, and this is
2: another great example of that. It definitely felt like we were all in the same place, which was cool to have it from six different authors. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can I could tell a little bit that like it wasn't necessarily we're all going to collaborate and write six completely different stories because some of the storylines were a little bit similar right how the the um, serpents serpents Fang were going after an item and then the next story they're going after an item right like but they still felt like they were the same warband even with the unmade being different right it still felt like they were fighting the unmade. It just didn't fight, like, feel like they were fighting the miniatures of the warband. So I think as far as that, like that's the the most important thing for an anthology when you have different authors is to make it feel like you're still set in the same universe. And I think they achieved that very, very well.
0: Yeah, I think um, an anthology collection is nice in that, again, it's easy to digest. And it, they, I think this one gives you enough of these nuggets that satiate. At the same time, they're... Uh, I don't, for me, the, the danger sometimes of an anthology is that it's easy to skip it because there's not nothing, nothing major to the overall plot is happening, so you can take it or leave it. I think it's worth the time; these are worth the time you spend on each each one, um, and you know, really enjoyed the ones that that I got to. Um, I think the missed opportunity may have been the order of these to give Carnegrad more of a kind of arc. So you know, starting outside the city, keeping the ones that are inside the city together, and then back outside of the city or mm-hmm. something like that. But uh, I thought it was cool. For overall,
1: yeah, I um, I would say like you, you know, before thumbs up, thumbs down, like it the the overall vibe that you got from what it was like to live here was that you know we talked about how Pyrrhic victory was often a thing that was happening in these stories, um, and it's not your goal. Isn't to survive your goal isn't victory even your goal is like to live and die the way that you 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 know in accordance with your beliefs whatever they happen to be here and often they're pretty awful beliefs uh, but uh uh it was an interesting way to think about how if you're living somewhere that where like the the presence of these chaos gods it is unquestionable, like it it's there. Then then how do you go about living your life and like what do you like what is what does being mortal mean in that context and so that was it was neat to see how they live there. So anyway, um as far as uh, setting out what it hoped to do, I, I thought it did a great job of that. Um and uh yeah, so I you know, whatever rating you want to use, I go four out
2: of five on it. So yeah, cool, cool. Um I would also add if you liked this or like like that's a cool topic. That's a cool idea. There is also another short that was released in White Dwarf uh, about Untamed Beasts, and there was another E short that was released by Sarah Cockwell about Untamed Beasts as well. Well, they're getting a lot of screen time. Um, And also I'm reading through War Queen um, by Darius Hinks, and that also has a lot of the same touches, a lot of the same feeling, Mm. um, but not specific to the button spoil. Sure.
3: So. And go back and listen to the or Scourge of Fate episode, you know, we spent some time in uh, Absolutely. Uh, the 8 points as well. And uh listener, um we told you what we thought about the book, but if you've read it, um please uh, reach out and let us know what you thought about uh the anthology, uh, which of the stories were your favorites, which was your least favorite, who your dude was. Um we'd love to hear feedback and and um you know, get your take on on the book as well.
0: All right, let's wrap it up. It's time to put a muzzle on this episode. If it was a good, good dog, support the show with a positive review on iTunes, sharing it with friends, joining us for hobby discussions at themortorealms.com forward slash discord, or leave a tip at themortorealms.com forward slash Patreon. More content is available at themortorealms.com and on Twitter at Dogs of Warcry.
2: the never stolen, smoke to the dogs of war cry.